Your goon squad certainly gave you the edge in the mobile snack business. But I'm afraid we've outdone you once again. Hiroshi? Yukio? Perhaps you've heard of the Yakuza, the poison fists of the Pacific Rim? The Japanese Mafia? They'll kill you five times before you hit the ground. Come here, you little squirt. Oh, oh, maybe we should go inside. But Marge, that little guy hasn't done anything yet. Look at him. He's gonna do something, and you know it's gonna be good. Everybody and welcome to Anime Baby New Year, same podcast. This is your host Mikey, hoping this year may be better than the last. Join with me as always is for the last time your wolfish grin co-host Ryan here. And welcome to our first episode of 2021. Yeah, we made it. <laughs> we survived 2020. We survived the hell year, and we've entered another hell year. And it's already starting off as another hell year. Yep, <laughs> never change world uh but hey we're not gonna be here to talk about that we're talking about some good stuff here as uh we're gonna mark this occasion you know starting the year off right by returning to an old favorite we are hearing up once again as we're back to talk all about my hero academia season four Ooh, yeah and this is this one has been a long time coming for us yeah like it feels great coming back to my hero and like it's been like what a year and some change since we last did it because the last time we talked about my hero was well, the end of our first summer series, Summer of Heroes, when we uh, when we did the second half of season three. Right, right, and uh, yeah, we were wanting to get to it like previously this year, but uh, we had other plans. Yeah, like uh, it wasn't the plan to wait this long to do My Hero season four. Like initially, I wanted to do this much sooner, as I was hoping to have this done back in April after the season finished airing. Right. And uh, would have been perfect too, because around that time would have been Anime Detour, and there, me and a friend were going to be planning on uh, doing a My Hero panel. And in full cosplay, no less. Like, I was actually going to cosplay uh, Uraraka, and she was going to be Deku. And uh, couldn't have been more perfect, you know? And the season finale was going to air that very weekend, like that Saturday. And I would have announced uh, our season 4 episode either during that panel or during our Toonami panel when we got to My Hero during that. 
Uh, unfortunately, you all know what happened, and uh, COVID put us on a hiatus until May, where we instead did our Tsunami Year in Review, and then afterwards jumped straight into Summer Trigger. So this has been a long... So we, we've been... Meet, we were we were going to get to it, and now we are. <laughs> yep, and uh, I hinted at this when we did our Tsunami episode, where I said, you know, because of the hiatus, I had to postpone Keijo, which we were going to do in March, and I said a second episode, but I didn't say what it was. Uh, yeah, this was that second episode. So here we are, finally. Since all that has passed us, and since 2020 was such a shit show, I felt it would be a good way to start off the new year on a high note by coming back to My Hero again after so long. Yeah, let's start off strong. And by the way, if you haven't yet, I suggest you go back and listen to our previous My Hero Academia episodes to get you up to speed. But if you haven't, here's a quick recap as to what happened last time. When we last left our young heroes of Class 1A, they had just completed their provisional licensing exam which allows them to legally do some hero work. All of 1A got their licenses except for Bakugo and Todoroki. Uh, Todoroki got caught up in a feud with uh, my boy Inasa Yoarashi, which uh, cost them both licenses. And Bakugo, as usual, was being, well, Bakugo. But uh, with licenses in hand, Deku and the rest of 1A gear up for the next phase of their hero training. But meanwhile, a new group of baddies look to be rising up from the underground, and may even give the Ligiwigi a run for their money. And as with the previous seasons, the production team is still the same both in the original Japanese and for the English dub team, though there is one notable difference this season as, uh, the season has a new director. Uh, the season is directed by Masahiro Mukai instead of Kenji Nagasaki, at, as at the same time Nagasaki was working on the second movie, My Hero Academia Heroes Rising, aka the last movie I saw in movie theaters. That was sort of thing. It was a good one to leave off on. Oh, yeah. But yeah, he was too preoccupied with that. So while he's credited as chief director for the season, uh, the directorial work goes to uh, Masahiro Mukai. Yeah, I would wonder how like much like directorial work he would have actually put in, like aside from that. Yeah. During that time. But hey. Uh, Let's, uh, let's not beat around the bush, let's jump right into it, so. With all that out of the way, we're talking My Hero Academia, Season 4. So without further ado, let's start the show at Let's Go Plus Ultra. <laughs>
So first things first, the opening and the ending. Opening is Polaris by Blue Count, and the ending is Kokai no Uta by Sayuri. Uh, what do you think of these songs? Oh, I quite like it. I quite like it. Oh, they're very good. Yeah, it's 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 like all the other it's like all the other My Hero openings. It really pumps you up. It really does get you excited for all the awesomeness that's about to come. Mm-hmm. And also the uh, ending, like uh, while a very hard hitting song, actually kind of uh, can kind of tug at the emotion, little emotional strings during some of the with some of the visuals in that one. Right, right. Yeah, that one can can hurt a little bit. Yeah, but uh, they're both they're both pretty good, pretty good. Fine work as always. So let's pick up from where we last left off as Deku and the rest of One A prepare for their hero work studies. And Deku gets suggested to work with All Might's former sidekick, his young ward, his old chum, Sir Night Eye. And uh, yeah, hero work studies are basically more in-depth versions of the internships. Though unlike the internships, you need a provisional hero license to participate which means Bakugo and Todoroki are the only ones who can't participate. See our second half of Season 3 for more details. In other words, they're real-life internships. <laughs> yeah, I know you have a bit of a stickler for, like, the naming of these. Yeah, I mean, like, I just think I just think they could have been, like, phrased a little bit better. Although, maybe it's a trans... Now that I think about it, maybe it could be a translation issue over in Japan. Maybe it does. Maybe in Japan, internships are different for them over there. Maybe they call our internships over here work study. So I'm starting to think maybe it could be a translation issue. Or not an issue, just like, just the way things are translated. Yeah, and also like, you know, Japanese producers, like when they talk to like, uh, dub producers, they tell them like they have to use these specific terms right here. So like, they have to use the terms internships for the internships and work studies for the work study. Right, so it may have just been like, that's that's just how they had to do it, you know, because that's just how you, that's just like how it's translated over here. Right. So, I've softened a bit on that. Okay. (laughs) Meanwhile, we meet up with the Leaguey Weegee as they're having a meeting with a baddie we saw at the end of Season 3. Head of the Yakuza organization, Shie Hasaikai, known by some as Kai Chisaki, but known by all as simply Overhaul, played here by Kellen Goff. And not the only time Kellen Goff would play the boss of an underground crime syndicate, see Jojo Part 5. Yeah, what the heck was with that? He that he then goes on to voice another famous mob boss in anime. Like roughly in the same calendar year. I know he plays two, two two completely separate characters, different intonation he has to use for both. <laughs> both mobsters. Both head of mafia organizations and both kind of dealing in some of the similar stuff. I know, it's like what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> Some some banging roles for him to grab, like right off, like right, like right near the start of his career too. And he is fucking great here. He is really good as Kai Chisuke here. Just the calm tone, but just like you can feel like any moment he can snap like that. Cold, calculating. He sounds. He does sound legitimately intimidating. And also like the nice effect where he has like the uh, the plague doctor mask over there, and like they had like the really good reverb to that to like really get that effect. Yeah, I like that. I like that touch. So the League wants Overhaul, but Overhaul wants them to work for him instead, and it all goes to hell from here, where they just basically just flip the table and get into a fight. I know, it goes it goes to hell in a handbasket real quick. Like, not only does Overhaul chop off Mr. Compress's arm, but he also kills Big Sis Mag. <sighs> just, she lunges right at him and just, boom, top half of her just explodes all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Did, did, did you did you really have to like kill off one of your only trans characters? I know, right? 
You, you could have killed off Spinner, you know? Nobody cares about Spinner. <laughs> no, no one cares about that knockoff Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Someone write in if Spinner is your boy, please. <laughs> I want to know if you exist. Uh, yeah, no. Like, I'm going to say right now, that's one knock I will give against this. Like, come on. Like, come on. You couldn't have, you couldn't have like... You couldn't, you couldn't have just, like, had, like, Compress lose his arm. Yeah, just leave it at that. Just to, like, show the danger, you know, and so show how bad it is. Like, come on. Yeah, but at the same time, I guess, if you really wanted to get over someone, like, killing someone is, is like, pretty big, I guess. Yeah, but did it have to be one of your only trans characters in the show? <laughs> couldn't they, couldn't the League find one, one of those jobbers from, like, the training camp arc, bring them back so they can get killed? Yeah, couldn't he have just, like, kept one of those around or something? Just Kill, like, I don't know, Moonfish? Get, yeah, the, the mustard, mustard. mustard guy. No one liked him. Nobody likes mustard. <laughs> or bring back Matt McMuscles and kill him. Yeah, do yeah do something like that. <laughs> uh, no, you gotta kill our only trans character. Uh, yeah. And the dude just then just casually walks out of this room with his goons and just has the gall to leave the League's card. Just like, hey, if you ever need me, just call me. Like, that escalated pretty quickly. <laughs> you know, I just murdered one of your own and took the arm of one, also another member, but hey, we can still do business. I'm trusting you all won't try to shoot me in the back as I leave. You know, don't betray me. I'm holding you to this. <laughs> uh, back with Deku, he goes to All Might for, to get some help with joining Sir Night Eye. Maybe he can introduce him, but uh, it's but it turns out the two aren't on speaking terms here. It uh, reminds you a bit of, uh, remember that one uh, Powerpuff Girls episode where they find the old uh, superhero and his sidekick and they're trying to get them back together, but they still hate each other? Right, right. Kind of like, reminds you a bit of that. Like, there, like, there's something wrong going on here. Maybe, maybe uh, I don't know, maybe Sir Night Eye was used in too many, uh, like, uh, shark pits or something. Yeah. <laughs> you know, All Might. During All Might's career. Tossed him to too many uh, alligator pits. You know, he got threatened, maybe got uh, threatened by a baddie with, like, a crowbar and almost got beaten to death with it. Ooh, yeah, I wouldn't want to be in that service anymore. You know, luckily a bunch of people came together and said, like, no, we love him. We don't want him to die. <laughs> oh, but there is someone who can introduce Deku to Night Eye, and that's your boy and everyone's boy, Mirio Togeda. And uh, we got a small taste of him last time, but now we're getting more Mirio, and we'll all see what a good boy he is. But uh, he's he's awesome. How coincidentally that the guy introduced, like, just before now is, like, also the sidekick of, of All Might's former sidekick. Yeah, who would have guessed that a member of the big three <laughs> <Or an intern. laughs> is, a member, is a member of Sir Night Eye's agency? Ah, what a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> so the following day, Mirio brings Deku to Night Eye's agency for a meeting, and he gives Deku a bit of advice on how to get on Night Eye's good side. Gotta make him laugh. Make him laugh, make him laugh. Don't you know that the world loves to laugh? <laughs> so now Deku's gotta, like, you know, practice a big dance number and start running up some walls and, like, dancing on pianos. And then here we are formally introduced to Sir Night Eye, played here by Brandon McInnes. And this whole scene where we, like, where Deku first sees Night Eye and, like, gets formally introduced... There's so much great about this scene, because there's it's, so much going on. It's odd. <laughs> so first, Deku and Mirio walk in on Night Eye, having strapped one of his sidekicks, Bubble Girl, played here by Kara Edwards, to a weird, kinky, tickling machine. Yeah, I was getting, like, Lupin, like, first episode, <laughs> yeah, was like that. first episode flashbacks. Like, I don't know if this is a reference, or if, like, this is, like, just what Horikoshi thinks is funny. <laughs> yeah. And, like, watching this, I'm just thinking, you know, somewhere out there, someone is touching themselves inappropriately to the scene. Uh, Probably Mineta. 
It's like, oh yeah, just get 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 those hands right where I want to see them. I just, oh boy, so so good. Oh, <laughs> please do not ever imitate Minetta climaxing again. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't ever. I'm asking you. No. That's off the table for the future. <laughs> and secondly. Deku's attempt to make Night Eye laugh is just him doing an All Might impression. And he hates it! <laughs> Night Eye just, like, stares daggers into him and goes, What do you think you're doing? Insulting a great hero like All Might like that with that <laughs> terrible impression. And third, to just put the cherry on top for this open for the scene here, it just get, gets a close-up on Mirio, and he's like, Oh no, he's not funny! <laughs> and thus, a meme-worthy line was born there. <laughs> Turns out Sir Night Eye is, uh, is very hard to please. Yeah. And he's also a big All Might fanboy, just like Deku, as his office is just full of, like, rare posters and figures and everything that Deku even recognizes. <laughs> and Night Eye is probably just like, oh, so you're an All Might fan? Then name five of his rescues. <laughs> he, really, he really does pull that bullshit on him. He does. And then Deku does actually name a rescue where he got his impression from. Right, right. He's, he tries to argue, like, no, the face I was making, it was the face that was made by All Might that one time when he saved a kid who could turn water into vinegar. And then when he came out, he gave a very good response, but he was also slightly squint- squinty because of it. <laughs> and I was like, kids got game. You win this round, Midoriya. You win this round. So Deku asks Night Eye to join his agency, but Night Eye wants to know what Deku can bring to the table. So he's got three minutes. Three minutes of playtime. As Deku is challenged to take the stamp from Night Eye's hand and stamp the contract himself. And it's, uh, reminds me a bit of when Deku first met Gran Torino, where, like, uh, you have to, like, fight in this really small and close space, and then one of them's just bouncing off the walls here. It is very reminiscent of that. I think he was maybe calling back to that. And here we see Night Eye's quirk in action. His quirk, Foresight. After touching someone, he can foresee their exact moves for up to one hour. So, basically, he's a little bit of King Crimson here. Yeah, yeah. so, like, he, he can just see everything, every kind of move that Deku is doing right now. It just works. <laughs> but uh, I'll never get tired of this in this fight. I'll never get tired of Deku going beyond and trying to think of every possible way to beat his opponent. Because, like, while he's, like, bouncing off the walls of Night Eye's office, he's just trying to think, like, okay, how does this quirk work? Does he need to see me at all times? So maybe if I throw some stuff in his way, he can't foresee my movements. But no, that doesn't work like that. I mean, it's a job interview, so you got to demonstrate. And nice touch during this is that even though Deku is bouncing around the room, he's making sure not to step on any one of Night Eye's All Might posters. He's very conscious of that. And Night Eye takes notice of that. Yeah, because in the end, despite not taking the stamp after the three minutes, Night Eye agrees to take Deku on. And he was he was planning to him from the beginning, but he just wanted to test his skills in this moment here. And he also and he does know about uh, One for All, and he and he knows that All Might handpicked him as his as his successor. And he wasn't too happy about that either. No, he believes he made a mistake, and he thinks that uh, Mirio should have been chosen instead. So he clearly, wants... clearly, some, there's some favorites here. Little bit, you know, just like whose son is better in this in this uh, battle? <laughs> <laughs> you know, instead of my dad can beat up your dad, my son can beat up your son. <laughs> but basically, Night Eye is just uh, hiring on Deku just to prove a point that he isn't worthy. So Deku's work study begins the following day as Night Eye has him and Mirio do some patrolling around the city as his agency is currently investigating a Yakuza group, Chie Saikai. Thank God he wasn't just sent out to get coffee for him. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, that that would have seemed like a night-eyed thing to do. Like, you think you're so good? You think you can be, not, you think you can be All Might's successor? All right, go and get me 200 cups of coffee right now. 
And I don't mean you put in an order. I mean you order each one individually <laughs> and bring them back to me throughout the day. And make sure that they have my name on it. So when the Starbucks barista asks you for name, you say, Sir Night Eye. And I swear to God, if one drop of milk is in any of them, I will be so mad. I'm lactose intolerant. Yes. <laughs> and also, so help me God, Midoriya, don't make one of those decaf. <laughs> because I'll sip it, and I'll know. And then I'll just look right in your face and go like, what is this? Uh, it's coffee. No. It's this decaf, Midoriya. You screwed up. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, but you had me order 200 cups. Uh, heroes don't make mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> just pours it over him <laughs> now soak in your failure bean juice <laughs> we drink our failures here oh, and also during this uh, patrol we learn uh, Mirio's hero name Lemillion for the number of people he'll save I love them I think in the, in the manga too like some reference he makes some reference to uh, how he also likes how it makes uh, reference to a Japanese rock band called Ramirio Men <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny uh, you know, it'd be great is if he said it like uh, Chris Jericho. You know, he says, "I'm Lemillion." Right, right. I think maybe just for like copyright issues, they can just say it in the anime. But it's yeah, probably. Funny. <laughs> yeah, but it's pretty nice. And so during their patrol, Deku and Mirio run into a little girl running from someone, and that someone is Overhaul. Oh man, this scene here is so tense. Yeah, it's pretty tense. <laughs> Thinking it's gonna go somewhere, but like, oof. Like they, we, they gotta play their words right. As we have this little girl just like basically run away from Overhaul from this dark alley as he's just slowly, calmly walking towards her saying like, hey, don't run away from me, get back here. And she's just like, cr kind of like goes up to like Deku's arms and she's like, no, don't go. And uh, this little girl, this little cinnamon roll here is named Aerie, played here by Emily Neves. And she is referred to here as Overhaul's daughter. And, again, so tense here. I know, and what's even worse, they gotta play it cool, they gotta play it, like, dumb. Yep, you know, Mirio's just all like, he's just all like, hey, sir, is your daughter alright? She seems pretty scared, and he's like, no, everything's fine, you know. Kids always tend to disobey their parents when they're getting a little strict with them. It's all fine. She's, like, pleading them to, like, take, to, like, take me with you, and they're just like, I'm sorry, little girl, I don't know who you are. And also Miro makes sure that Deku has his mask on so that Overhaul doesn't recognize him. That's funny to me because I think that is the last time Deku will ever be told to put his mask back on. Yeah. And he never will for the rest of the series. No, it just stays like as a like a hood. Yeah, he he's he's not a mask wearer, Deku, I don't think. It's no. it doesn't befit him. And like another bit that makes it even more tense is where Overhaul like wants to talk with him. He's just all like, hey, follow me into this dark alley where no one can hear you scream and beg for mercy. <laughs> And they're like, nope, nope, uh, we're, we're allergic to dark alleys. Yeah. And he's like, no, just come on, we'll just talk here. And he's slowly about to remove his glove, and then Aerie sees us, and she's like, okay, I'll go with you. Immediately goes back. Just, ugh, man. This scene, and the earlier scene with the League, and the following scene when he gets back to the hideout, perfectly puts over overhaul. Calm, calculating, and undeniably ruthless. Because when he gets back to his hideout with Aerie, like, one of his uh, goons is just like, oh, boss, I'm sorry I let her go, and he just splatters him against the wall. Mm. <laughs> you know he's not playing. No, he, he doesn't mess around, Overhaul does. Deku finally asks All Might about his relationship with Night Eye and also Mirio potentially being one for all successor. As we see that their falling out stems from All Might's uh, laundry list of injuries that he's gathered over the years, and Night Eye just begging him to retire or risk dying. As uh, he, while All Might was like uh, laying in bed, kind of comatose, he touched him, used his quirk, 
and he foresaw All Might's death, basically saying from that point, like, within seven years in the future, All Might is going to die if he keeps this up. Yeah. And this premonition still lingering within the series to this day. Mm, technically it is. Technically yep. it is. And just, like, I remember seeing fans going, like, okay, when's it going to happen? Because, like, it's kind of stressing fans out, just wondering, like, if this will come true or not. I also once predicted that a Japanese teenager would have his face completely split in half. <laughs> <laughs> My predictions are never false, All Might. <laughs> They're never false. You'll never change the future. <laughs> it is it is etched in stone. <laughs> etched in the stone ocean. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, as for Mirio being, like, a potential successor, uh, Principal Nezu is the one who suggested him to All Might, because uh, before he uh, started his job at UA, he was uh, basically going to go there to look for a successor, and Nezu was just like, oh, take a look at this young boy. He's a member of our big three and one of our best students. He's a big goofball, and he's always got a smile on his face. Has a bit of a problem with keeping his clothes on, you know, but uh, we'll work on that. <laughs> but uh, that all changed when he met Deku, which, and then he told Night Eye about it, and he was just strongly opposed to this, like... Why are you picking this little wiener kid over someone as cool as uh, Mirio? No normies. <laughs> no normies. You gotta have a quirk to be required for one for all. <laughs> and so after that, Night Eye took Mirio under his wing and basically began training him out of spite. So with all that, let's uh, move on and see what some of the other 1A kids are doing with their work studies. As first, we see Uraraka and Sue are working with Nijiri Hado of the Big Three at the agency run by the current number nine hero, Dragoon Hero Ryukyu, played here by Caitlin Barr. And here we get the deets on Nejire's quirk, Wave Motion. This allows her to convert her own vitality into energy, which she releases in as spiral shockwaves. And it turns out uh, Ryukyu's agency will be joining up with Night Eye's agency as uh, they're also investigating Shiei Saikai, so it's all starting to build up here. It's all getting to be convenient. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all these agencies going after this one Yakuza group. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Kirishima has joined Tamaki Amajiki of the Big Three at the agency run by the BMI hero, Fat Gum, played here by Kyle Abair. And I gotta say, what perfect casting here. Because, like, uh, I remember when uh, promotional material for Season 4 came out and we saw anime uh, Fat Gum. Uh, Kyle Abair went on Twitter and said, like, okay, I want to play this guy. Mm, good choice. Good choice. And then Colin Clinkenbeard was just like, uh, you got it. <laughs> and he sounds great. Yes, he, and he's voicing one of my favorite, one of my uh, personal favorite heroes. <laughs> Just look at this My Neighbor Totoro hero here. I, I love his design so much. It's really good. He's just a big old cuddly teddy bear. This guy. I know. <laughs> I know. He he reminds me of um. He reminds me of like uh some like sparsely spoken of like Captain Softy from like Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> Arthur gets like a new winter jacket, like it came from like a superhero who's like who's like whose power is that he's too soft. <laughs> and I just got like a little flashback to that. That was I, I got a good laugh at that. Also looking a bit like uh, Randy from A Christmas Story when he has like the big jacket on. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. All the way down in uh, Osaka, actually, he's doing this. Yeah. Traveled a lot. Because I, I noticed the signs around the whole place. Like, wow, I've been here in Yakuza. <laughs> <laughs> the big crab sign and stuff. Like the takoyaki they're eating. Yeah. Ah, uh, per perfect that you got on that in Yakuza. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we get to see them fight some thugs and we get to see their quirks in action. As we now see Amajiki's quirk manifest as uh, whatever he eats allows him to take on its properties. OP. OP. It is pretty OP. <laughs> He can take on the properties of anything he eats. So he eats takoyaki, and he can get, like, uh, squid arms. Too OP. Got, got like, a nerf. Eats chicken, gets chicken legs, and everything like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Fat Gum's quirk is 
fat absorption. Take a wild guess on how that works. Yep, just he just he can absorb anything into his fat. Yeah, <laughs> it would be great if he was like uh, Fat Chance from Venture Brothers. Like he can like reach into his fat and pull out stuff out of his uh, duodenum. He, who knows? He probably does have some stuff hidden around in there. <laughs> he can suck anything into it, so like he could have something around there. <laughs> just digs into his folds and tries to pull out something. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of every shift, some some day he just like expunges like all the knives and like blunt objects he absorbed out of it, like. <laughs> Hang on, guys. Oh, four knives today. I thought it was five. Oh, hey, officer. Wait, I got some evidence for you that I got off this bad guy. Hold on. Wait. Wait. Nope, that's not it. Not it. And they're all, and then they're just like, hey, you can keep it. We yeah. got enough. <laughs> we, we can make an arrest here. Thanks for your help, Fatgum. <laughs> so one of the goons gets away, and Kirishima runs off and corners him. He looks to have uh, the situation under control until the goon shoots himself with something, which makes his quirk even more powerful. So look at what we have here: quirk boosting drugs. Uh, they, they they don't say it, say what it's called here, do they? Not it's, yet. Uh, yeah, they don't say it just yet. And uh, it's, it's it's trigger. It's called trigger. Yeah. It's just a quirk and it's just a quirk enhancing drug. Uh, last time we saw we uh, saw a bit of this was the first movie. Yeah, technically we did. Yeah, and I think. Uh, for like anime viewers, that was their introduction to like the quirk boosting drugs because uh, that that took that uh, uh, premiered before this season. Right, right. That that would technically be be where it would have been. So yeah, how about that? It gets explored way more in like the Vigilantes comic. And we also see there's a uh, there's also another drug that not only there's one that boosts your quirk, but there's also one that that'll take quirks away. Yes. As uh, Amajiki gets shot with one and he's rendered quirkless only temporarily though. But uh, remember this. And this is where Kirishima, a.k.a. Red Riot, gets to show his true potential here. As he goes hard all day, all night. As we have Red Riot unbreakable as he just gets harder and harder and harder. It's it's not sexual, by the way. <laughs> but uh, he just turns into, like, full-on a rock human here. Yeah, he looks great. Looks very intimidating. It's so cool looking. Looks like he's like Looks like his body is clashing with itself. Yeah, and, like, uh, doesn't he get hit in the eye at one point, and it just, like, whatever he gets hit with just breaks completely. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, despite the different director and pretty much the main animation team being preoccupied with the second movie, uh, there's still plenty of fl animation flexing this season. Yeah, there is quite a bit. You know, it says a lot about their production if uh, they can get this done by essentially their B team. And it's only just begun here. Yeah. But uh, I'll, I'll mention this right now. Did you notice any, like, dips in quality at certain times this season compared to, like, the earlier seasons? Mmm... Not particularly, but I will say some scenes in during this specific arc in particular uh, don't look as good as in the manga. Yeah, I think there's one scene in particular where I think it's still good, but I think it could have been done better had they had the main animation team working on it. Well, you could even see one one point earlier when like uh, the sh uh, the Shiasai their uh, goons like bust in and like help their leader and help overhaul and stuff. Looks way better in the manga. So, the following day, something big's happening, considering that a crap ton of heroes are going all Avengers Assemble here. And, uh, I want to say, I like the looks of all these, like, new heroes we're meeting here. Like, I just, it made me think that, man, Horikoshi probably had, like, a good time designing all these guys and girls here. He did, because he talked about them in the in the manga volumes. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, special shout-outs to, uh, Lock Hero Rock Lock, played here by Gabe Kunda, and Centipeter, played here by Zach Bolton. Yeah, yeah. A special mention of Centipeter and uh, Bubble Girl in particular, because they were actually 
uh, created in a fan contest. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, they uh, they were fan designs originally that were for a contest and stuff. And Horikoshi chose the two winning designs and uh, put them into the book. Yeah, it's worth looking up those original images because I can tell you right now, Bubble Girl looks nothing like how she was originally drawn. <laughs> and I think Centipeter is the only one between them that looks con- that looks even kind of close. Like, his is pretty simple, just like uh, a centipede sticking out a person in a suit. Right, right, nice and simple. Yeah. I love some of the quirks in the series where it's just like a human body but with like an animal head. Right, It's like I we like had that. like the police chief that's just like a dog's head. It's really simple. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, what's their quirk? They're an animal head. That's it. <laughs> They're a Bojack Horseman character. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sir Nighteye has rounded up all these heroes, including Deku, Uraraka, Su, Kirishima, and the Big Three, and give them all the skinny on Shiei Saikai. Basically, they're up to no good, and they've had contact with the Ligi, and they're dealing drugs. By the way, another JoJo Part 5 connection here, as Kellen Goff, playing the leader of a crime organization that deals in drugs. Both notable drug dealers. <laughs> yep. Just... They're dealing all over the place, man. They're just trying to get everyone hooked. <laughs> Do we even get told, like, it's, 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 they never go into detail in these anime about, like, what kind of drugs they're actually selling. No. They, ne- they never say cocaine. They never say heroin. They never say, like, even just, like, weed or something. It's something as innocuous as that. It would be a big deal in Japan. <laughs> I mean, in JoJo, they just drop the drugs thing almost immediately. It's just drugs in general. Yeah, just drugs, but whatever, let's just take this boss down. I think I maybe saw in, in JoJo's, maybe they were, I think I saw maybe like one passing of like some kind of drug in a little bit baggy. Probably and I think coke. it was, I think it was maybe heroin. Possibly. Or... But it also could have been cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. They're, they're always so flighty about this. Now it makes me want to see for uh, Overhaul, like, rather than just only the the quirk drugs, like, what if he is just dealing cocaine and then, like, in between, like, missions, he's just in, like, his basement or whatever, just snorting coke through, like, his Plague Doctor mask? No, well, what do you think is inside the mask? Oh. <laughs> That's actually not a bad idea. Fill a, <laughs> fill a Plague Doctor, Doctor mask full of cocaine. That'd be, a very, that'd be a very Scarface move, actually. Amazing with all that coke and he still managed to keep himself composed. Right. <laughs> And also we learn more about the drugs as they seem to be made using someone else's quirk as uh, they analyze some of the material and they notice, like, basically human DNA in it. And uh, that person, the quirk they're using, is Aerie. And now it just becomes personal because as soon as Deku and Mirio hear about this, they just immediately stand up out of their chairs and just, and they're just like, what? That, that little girl, like, that we could have saved? Yeah, they're like, we're on it. <laughs> just, uh, they're just like, okay, it's per- it's personal right now. When do When are we going in? We gotta get her. And they're like, well, almost about soonish. <laughs> and also here we learn about Overhaul's quirk, as basically he has the ability to uh, break down and rebuild matter. Yeah, deconstruction and reconstruction. So basically, when he's been splattering everyone's blood all over the walls, he just basically just touches them, and they just he just basically deconstructs all their organs until they just explode. Yep, that's how he does it. And just watching this, it's uh, I just feel this is all just so so good setup for what's gonna come next. Yeah, it's all it's all very good setup. It's just all coming together nicely. Just like okay, Yakuza boss, little girl, we gotta save, gotta stop the drug drug deals. All mm-hmm. right, let's roll. Yep. And uh, I really want a special mention to the scene afterwards with uh, Mr. Aizawa because I think that's re- re- that one's really good too. Where uh, he's uh, talking to the kids and he's bringing up their previous battles with the League and other villains. And he's also bringing up how Deku can be reckless in situations like this. And uh, makes me really love how this series tends to build on each previous arc. Yeah, yeah, like, Aizawa's, t- Aizawa's taking note of the actions that Deku typically, typically takes. 
Remember, He's exerting caution. You know, remember the USJ when Deku, completely inexperienced, almost broke, pretty much broke himself trying to fight off the League in the Nomus. Yeah. Then fast forward to fighting off against Stain by himself with uh, Todoroki and Ida. Then fast forward to them going to a Kamino and almost getting killed by All for One. Mm-hmm. Just, they've been through a lot. And, a lot. It and, has been. And by the way, all this has been happening in less than a year. <laughs> Though, uh, one thing I really want to know about here, since we have, like, uh, these kids as, like, our main, uh, group for this arc, I wonder what went to, like, Horikoshi deciding, like, these kids, like, being a part of this arc. You know, Deku and the Big Three are obvious, but, uh, it's really interesting that he also chose, uh, Uraraka, Sue, and Kir- Kirishima to join with them. Yeah, I'm kind of curious about that myself. Especially since, especially since, well, like, this is gonna be a criticism down the line, but, like, he honestly doesn't do too much with Uraraka or Sue in this one. Yeah. Which is kind of disappointing. Like, I, I just kind of thought, like, oh, you, I kind of thought you'd be on top of that. Yeah, but uh, at the same time, it's nice to really get let them have their time to shine too. Get some experience, you know. You know, and then like, you know, I'm guessing he really, really loved using Kirishima in the All for One arc that he wanted to bring him back for this one. Right, right. So after some serious investigating, the heroes have found the location of Overhaul's secret Yakuza base. And it turned out to just be their main headquarters. <laughs> so obviously, I mean, Yakuza in the real world don't make like. Like, don't really hide very well, like, where they hang out or anything. No, they don't have underground lairs or anything. No, they don't. Like, they're, they're very much out in the open. Well, they also make a point, like, early, uh, earlier, too, that, um, like, they, they've been trailed for, like, a long time and suspected of, like, criminal uh, dealings for a very long time now. But they haven't had, like, anything definite to, like, nail them on yet. Yeah, they like, need, so, like, like, hard evidence. So, like, now, but, like, now, but now they're able to, like, really issue a warrant and finally crack down on these guys. You know, do things the legal way. Right. But uh, how did they figure this out? Well, it's simple. They used the power of Pretty Cure to find them. <laughs> <laughs> or rather, the My Hero Universe's legally distinct version of Precure. As here it's called uh, Gung-Ho Glitter Squad 10. <laughs> <laughs> and here I want to bring this up. There's references upon references here as, uh, you know, we see like uh, the box of this uh, toy that they find here and... Uh, the design of the girls on the box are based off Happiness Charged Precure, which is the 10th anniversary series and uh, the series that was airing when My Hero began uh, its manga. And uh, the name is probably a reference to uh, Yes Precure 5. And uh, Glitter Squad is a reference to the name given to Smile Precure when it was dubbed into English Glitter Force. <laughs> <laughs> which uh, means uh, the intro to the show is probably something like, Here we go, 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 Glitter Squad, go, go. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, fun, funny little reference there. Yeah, Horikoshi is actually a fan of Precure, and he's even done some fan art of the series he posted on Twitter. <laughs> oh, how nice. <laughs> By the way, all this was just an excuse for me to talk about Precure for a bit, because I've been really getting to, into the series as of late. That's okay, you can indulge yourself this yeah, once. Yeah, I'm all, I'm all caught up with the current series, Healing Good, I'm in the middle of watching Star Twinkle, and uh, I'm looking forward to the new series, Tropical Rouge. Yeah. Anywho, Night Eye tailed one of Overhaul's goons to a toy store where he found him buying one of the toys. And he touched him and then used his foresight to see where he would go next, and that's how he found out where they're keeping Aerie. The plan is all coming together, which means it's time to raid Shie Asaikai. Pipe, pipe, pipe. Gonna yeah. raid a Yakuza hideout. Gather all the heroes and cops. We're gonna walk walk up to this headquarters and we're just gonna storm the place. Mmm, yes. Love it. So, at 8.30am, heroes and police arrive at the front gates of the hideout. The baddies are waiting for them as well. The Chie Asaikai arc has officially begun. <laughs> and uh, here we get to see uh, Ryukyu show off her dragon quirk, which looks super cool. Yep, they just walk right up to the front door, and they're just like... 
boom! <laughs> this big, huge goon just, like, pops out, and then Ryukyu's like, okay, I got this. Yep. Turns into a dragon. Japanese dragon, like Jake Long. And I love that it's American still... dragon Jake Long. <laughs> <laughs> Time to dragon up. It is kind of like that. Although, I don't think we once see her breathe fire. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. But at least she looks cool, and I love how her uh, dragon design kind of kept, like, her, you know, the part of her costume, the kind of side fringe hair. Yeah, I, I like that. And we also get to see Centipeter and Bubble Girl's quirk in, quirks in action, too. Centipeter's confuses me, so, like, what, his limbs are just, like, his, like, hands are also centipe centipedes, too? Maybe his whole body is just multiple centipedes that form a human body. Oh, that's gotta look creepy. Yeah. <laughs> it reminds me a bit of, uh, an idea a friend of ours came up with of, uh, Spider's Man. Oh, yeah, Spider-Man. What if there's just a guy who's... What if there's just a person whose quirk is just... They're just a whole pile of spiders making one body. So maybe Centipede is just the whole pile of centipedes making a body. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> That's scary. It's... Uh, ugh, I don't want to think about it. <laughs> centipedes are gross. I know. They're, they freak me out. <laughs> so Night Eye leads a group of heroes into the deepest part of the base, but before they can get to Overhaul, they have to go through his underlings first. The Eight Bullets, as they're called, which is kind of a cool name. That is pretty cool. First up is Mimic, played here by Derek Snow, who juices himself full of drugs to power up his quirk, Mimicry, which allows him to merge into an object, take control of it as, his, as if it were his own body. And uh, side note, uh, I like how the way they inject themselves with the drugs, they kind of have this syringe and they just stick it into their necks. It kind of reminds me of how they uh, they uh, inject people with nanomachines in Metal Gear Solid 4. Right, right. That's, that's kind of cool looking. It's just kind of badass. Like, if you're going to inject yourself with something, just straight into the neck and just pull a trigger down and just like, ah, yeah. Yeah. Although one correction, uh, this, this guy right here is actually not one of the, uh, eight bullets, I believe. I think he's actually, I think he's actually the, uh, treasurer for the organization. Oh, okay. He's the money handler. Oh. But he's a very cranky guy for a guy who handles all the money. Yeah. <laughs> Bit of a Napoleon complex too, as he's also a little short guy. Or at least he seems. Seems. At first. And then he juices himself up, gets huge, and then merges into a wall. And then he's just controlling the underground. And, like, his voice shifts from, like, a very high-pitched tone to, like, a very deep, menacing tone. Yeah, that's, that's a little funny. <laughs> so Mimic sends the heroes down lower, where they come face-to-face -face with some of the other eight bullets. We have Toya Setsuno, played here by Derek Whitener, Yu Hojo, played by Eric Lopez, and Suramitsu Tabe, played by Jeremy Krantz, the writer of the series. Oh, nice. And this fight belongs to Amajiki, as he gets his shining moment of awesome here. And, like... I already liked Amajigi to begin with, but uh, this fight really kind of puts him over for me. Just kind of reaffirms that love. Yeah, because he's just using everything that he has inside his arsenal. He's, like, very smart. He's, like, transformed, like, octopus-type stuff. He's, like, turning into, like, you know, clamshells. He's, like, forming armor around him. He's con he's combining aspects of, like, uh, the things that he eats. It's really interesting, but... Um, well, it's also a fight that puts over his character as well as, we, uh, as he flashes back to... Um, his time with Mirio and his friendship. Yeah, like, those flashbacks are, like, really, really sweet. You know, just showing how being around Mirio really boosted his confidence. Yeah, he's a very pitiable character, as we've seen up to this point. Yeah. Really not meant for the spotlight. But I also did like that uh, Fat Gum had the utmost faith in him. You know, like, despite his lack of confidence and his shyness, he, in the end of the day, he's still a member of the Big Three. He's, like, one of the best students in school. He should be able to handle these guys. Don't worry, we'll call an ambulance. For you three. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, and also I want to mention another one of the flashbacks with uh, Mirio is that uh, we see that Mirio says Amajiki inspires him to have, to be a better hero. Yeah, that's very sweet. That is the sweetest. 
Yeah, manages to take down uh, the three the three Yakuza. And also we see uh, we learn about his uh, name, Sun Eater. You know, he can be brighter than the sun to the point where he can eat it, and he got that from Mirio here. And like this battle just proves that he is worthy of the name Sun Eater. Yeah, that's strong. And also, by the way, with uh, all these midway flashbacks, I gotta say, take notes, Black Clover. Haven't watched you in two years, but I'm sure you're still doing that shit and doing it poorly. <laughs> but the finish of this fight is so good. It's really great. Yeah. Like, how he, like, basically uses his opponent's, like, uh, quirks against them. You know, like, how he, like, bites, like, some of the, the diamonds off uh, one of the other guys and then uses it to, like, give himself a shield and everything like that. Right, right. Well, it all comes together quite well. Mm-hmm. So, time for another one of our heroes to get the spotlight, and that hero is our resident Mac, Kirishima. As this fight kicks off with Mimic separating him and Fat Gum from the group, and they come face to face with Kendo Rappa, played here by Eric Rowland, and Heikeji Tengai, played here by Sean Gan. And as with Amajiki's fight, we get some flashbacks, though these are more in depth as we get uh, Kirishima's backstory here, basically. Yeah, we finally get it. Yeah, what do you think of his background here? Uh, not too bad. I mean, it does give some context to why he's so gung. He tries to be so gung ho about things, even though he shows. Uh, quite a bit of weakness here and there. Yeah, like, there's a moment where, like, he's trying to protect a kid from being bullied at his middle school, but, like, the boys are just basically saying, fuck off, Kirishima, you suck. Well, but, there's, yeah, there's a, there's an interesting connection to uh, Ashido here as well. Yeah, like, by the way, bonus points for featuring my uh, my best pink alien queen girl, <laughs> Mina, as uh, they went to the same middle school before uh, attending UA, and uh, apparently she was, uh, she's very, like, well-liked around uh, most of the kids in the school to the point where, like, uh, she was able to protect the kid from being bullied just by f- befriending everyone. <laughs> Teach him how to dance. Yeah. I love that scene where they're just like, Kirishima and his friends are just like watching from distance and they're like, okay, so Ashido's talking with them. They seem to be happy. Now they're dancing? Break dancing. And now they're gone. Huh. <laughs> she handled that well. <laughs> Even witnesses her handle another event as well. Yeah, the big part of this flashback where uh, Kirishima sees uh, two of Mina's friends getting uh, hassled by a Big, huge, fuck-off... Mountain of a man. This Braun Strowman-sized man. And he's just asking them, like, where's the hero agency here? And they're just like, they just can't say anything, and then Kirishima wants to save them, and he's like, he can't move, he can't bring himself to go save them. But then Mina just uh, directs him down the street towards the police station, and they were able to, she was able to save them. And he just fucks right off, and he's like, everything I do is for my master. Uh, remember this big guy. Fucking creepy. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, this kind of puts uh, Kirishima into a bit of a stupor here because like he couldn't bring himself to save those girls. He couldn't stop that kid from being bullied. And around this time, he actually hears about Deku saving Bakugo from the slime monster in like the first episode. Mm-hmm. But all this serves to prove that there's nothing wrong with being afraid, and not being able to save someone is far more scarier than any bad guy. Because he remembers some words from like from like uh, the hero he looks up to, where he says like, uh, "Of course I'm scared. I'm the only human. If I'm not scared, then I'm an idiot." And so he's inspired to face headlong this threat right here. As back to present day, Kirishima shows off his chivalrous spirit, which gives Fat Gum the opening to deliver the final blow to the baddies here. It's just all so cool. I love that one power of Fat Gum is that he can, like, burn all of his fat away into, like, one, like, all might-sized punch to defeat his Yeah, friends. like, he stored all that kinetic energy from Rappa's punches, and then just, like, he turned it all into muscle and was able to defeat them. That's pretty cool. I like that. And then we see Fat Gum without all of his fat, and I'm like, oh no, he's hot! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's not bad looking. <laughs> yeah. It was like when Kirishima's, like, basically, like, kind of coming to, he doesn't even recognize him. <laughs> but all of this was great. This is all such a big, great moment. 
And really nice bit afterwards where Rappa does the honorable thing and lets and lets Fat Gum and Kirishima get patched up because he uh, he wants to keep fighting, but he wants to make sure they're at one hundred percent. Yeah, he really likes fighting that Rappa guy. I love whenever we have villains that are kind of honorable like this that'll let their opponents get a bit of a respite before they can keep fighting like that. It's kind yeah, of it's yeah. kind of fun. It, it adds character. <laughs> And he gained a lot of respect for Kirishima, even calling him a man instead of a kid. <laughs> but we all know that Kirishima is 100% boy. <laughs> so on to the next phase of the raid, as we see that Overhaul and the Ligiwigi have come to some sort of an alliance. Shigaraki has given him the temporary services of Twice and Toga. And by the way, shout out to Twice and Toga being awesome here, because we get a flashback to them just having a meeting before uh, everything went down with Overhaul where uh, he kind of half-heartedly apologizes for killing B Big Sis Mag, but uh, he misgenders her here, and twice and he may call him out on it, like saying, hey, you mean her, not him. Don't make that mistake again. <laughs> you know, they may be... I, li I like that detail. That's, that was really sweet. It's really nice, you know. They may be sick, twisted, murdering villains, but they're not transphobes. Right. They won and they won't stand for any kind of transphobia like that. That was that was a cool moment from, like, these two villains. Like, oh, there's more to them in here. It's very nice, and they, they love their friends, you know? Yeah, they do care. They do care about their comrades. And also, this team up specifically between the, these two is really super significant in the grand scheme of things here. It is quite significant. Yeah, and I also felt that Horikoshi just—he knew out of the league these two would be the most popular, so why not just team them up? Mm, yeah. Well, he well he probably had plans originally to like you know do more with them, like develop them more together in the future. So mm. it was probably important to build that up here. Right. And God, does he use them very effectively? He does. <laughs> So yeah, with the League now uh, part of uh, Shie Saikai only temporarily here, we get to see them in action as uh, Knife Wife manages to take out Rocklock and even gets a good stab in on Aizawa. And since we know her quirk, this will probably come in handy later. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, Twice tries to fight off Night Eye with uh, Rava Clone, but it's to no avail as he as uh, during the scuffle he gets part of his mask ripped off. And that's a really big thing for him because he starts kind of like panicking here when like his mask rips off and it's plays into like a bigger part of his character. Yeah, it's a huge mental trigger for him. But this leads to another really important scene where Hime wraps a handkerchief around his exposed face and, like, twice is all, like, back to normal again. And he's just... I love that he's so gushing over Himiko at this point here. <laughs> like, calling her wifey and everything. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Really good, doing a good job looking out for each other. Yeah, but... Especially since it's all part of the plan to screw over the Sakai in the end. Yeah. <laughs> Like, no one honestly thought these two would actually work for Overhaul. No, they had some ulterior motives. No, but Shigaraki, in a weird moment, like, uh, actually put his complete trust in both Toga and Twice here to really help the League come out in the end here. In particular, two of the most un more unhinged members of the team here. Right, right. It was a bit of a, bit of a gamble, but, like... You know, like, a sane person would have sent, like, Mr. Compressor Davi to do this, but no, he, he took the risk with uh, Twice and Toga. Right. Putting their complete... Putting, like, genuine trust in both of them, you know? And also, the bit with the handkerchief. This will lead to something later, later on, like... It's a big moment that'll lead. I mean, that's that way later on, but yeah. But, uh, you know, Horikoshi, his long-term booking coming into play here, and it's amazing. So yeah, anyway, Toys and Hime are obviously trying to screw over Shie Saikai from the inside, and they start this off by first giving the heroes the opportunity to take out Mimic. And then meanwhile, Lemillion confronts Overhaul here. But uh, before they can duke it out, there's still two more goons to deal with, as we have uh, Shin Nomoto, played here by John Bergmeier, with his quirk Confession, and uh, Deidoro Sakaki, played here by an actor that I want—I don't want to mention until much later, because he plays an even bigger character than this. Mm, okay. 
and his quirk is sloshed, which is an amazing name for a quirk. <laughs> just gets you dr- gets other people drunk the more drunk he gets. Yeah, just like as so long as in your his vicinity, you're just completely legless. Nomados is a good quirk though, too. Confession, he can make people tell the, tell and tell any any uh, truth to him. Yeah, like uh, we got a bit of that during the scene with uh, Twice and Toga earlier, where he basically used his quirk to get them to confess how their quirks work. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a quirk that does have a lot of good use out of it. And this fight here with Mirio is just a preview of what's to come with him in this arc. Like, uh, if he wasn't over with you yet, he definitely will be by the end of this, because he's just he's just so awesome being able to take down these two guys right here, and just like being so determined and not willing to give up on Aerie. Props for him naming his move Phantom Menace as well. It's it doesn't come up in the anime, yeah, but like legal reasons and whatnot. But in the manga, it's it's called Phantom Menace. God, I. I love Horikoshi being a huge dumb Star Wars nerd <laughs> that he just has to I like put all it the in ways everywhere. It, I like all the ways it pops up. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, he's able to get to Airy here, and he promises that he'll be her Lex Luger as he'll be your hero. <laughs> but now we get to the fight with Lamillion and Overhaul, and holy shit, this fight's so good! It is quite good. Just they're in this big open room underneath the base just full of like this rock work and overhaul is just using his quirk to like break down all of these rocks and spikes and everything like that to try to like basically skewer lamillion right here he's like deconstructing rock and reconstructing it in the form of spikes yeah yeah it's it's pretty clever and also fuck overhaul in his complete and utter disregard for Ares' life here He's doing some mega heal work. Like, this is some mega heal work, because, mm-hmm. you know, if she gets hurt in this, he can just use her quirk to heal her, but he knows Lemillion is going to use all of his power to try to protect her, which could give him the opening to, like, basically get beaten at the hands of Overhaul. And he's got some special, perfected, quirk-destroying bullets that he wants to test out. Oh, yeah, like, uh, I'll splice in some of the finishes of this fight here, because it's pretty good. He's strong, but... He put Aerie down. If I break her, he'll be forced to back off. Of course you would do that, monster! You want to know why a hero wears a cape? So he can use it to comfort someone who's suffering. That's why. Watch my opponent. Predict his next move. That's fast. Jesus, he's so good. It's hard to believe he's just some Yakuza thug. He's strong, yeah. But make no mistake, I'm stronger. I'm never going to let you down again, Aerie. I am going to be your hero. You won't lay another finger on her. I'll take on anyone I have to. You've lost this fight, Shizuki. Don't use that name so casually, fool. I've abandoned it. Well, if you have nowhere else to go, you can come with me, kid. What's your name? Can you speak? Chisaki. Kai Chisaki. The Toto gang was forced to disband, and our numbers continue to dwindle. At this rate, it's only a matter of time for us. We need to be more innovative. What about the plan I told you about before? Have you given it more thought? Are you still bringing that up? I gave you your answer, Chisaki. Stray too far from your humanity and you're losing sight of the old ways. No one's going to follow a demon with no heart. Master! 
I thought he was down for the count. Namoto, shoot! Join the organization. It'll be reassuring to have you with me. Those were his true feelings. The boss needs me. I can't let him down. Even if it costs me my life, I'll assist him however I can. But where do I aim? I only have one bullet, and I'm shooting at an untouchable target. How can I keep him from using his quirk? I'm going to make sure she has a reason to smile. Until she can, I won't stop! His true feelings. <sighs> despair this whole time, thinking you had no choice but to suffer so much. That help would never come. Eerie already knows what I can do. I'm not going to let you down again. Don't worry. I won't let you suffer. Not anymore! As Mirio protects Aerie, but then we get we find, we see that uh, someone's got a gun with the perfected bullets, and unlike the bullet that got Amajiki earlier, where it wore off after a while, this one is permanent, and Mirio gets it. Yep, to prevent Aerie from getting shot, he takes the bullet for her, and now he is permanently quirkless. That is such a good villain move from Chisuke. <laughs> I was like, bravo. That was smart. Just the whole, this is like some three-dimensional chess here where it's just like, he's he's taking a risk here by shooting this, shooting Aerie. Because like, if he gets her, then she loses her quirk and he basically Well, the gamble also was that she probably wouldn't because it's her DNA in there. Yeah. But like, does he know that? Do they know that? Who knows? Like, it's a big risk. But right, all, he played that. But he played that against Mirio. Yeah, all Mirio sees is like someone shooting a little girl. I gotta protect her, and it costs him his quirk. Mm-hmm. But like, if you ask Mirio, he'd probably do it again and again if he had the chance to. But then Mirio then stands proud and proves himself as one of the boys of the series. He still fights. He still fights Chisiki, and he fights him smart too. Yeah. He shows that like he's not just his quirk either. Mhm. Like he like so long as he plays it smart, he can get some good mo- uh, blows in on Chisiki. Yeah. And he does. Yeah, like he still got that beef in him. Like, he even gets stabbed in the stomach by one of the spikes, and, like, he's still standing his ground. He's still marching on, still protecting Aerie. Yeah, like, his cape gets ripped off at one point, and he wraps Aerie in it, you know, just to protect her, because he says, you know, that's why heroes have capes, to protect their loved ones. He's not the number one of UA for nothing. And also, shout out to the acting from uh, Rico Fajardo, who plays Mirio, and Kellen Goff here. They are just amazing. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Overhaul looks to deliver the finishing blow until Deku bursts in. Now it's his turn. Yes. And time for Overhaul to go into overdrive as he takes Namoto's unconscious body and uses his quirk to break it down and his own body down and transforms it into a big forearmed freak of nature here. I know, that was that was a pretty messed up move right yeah. there. But so smart. Like you have this ability to rebuild and deconstruct. Like why not just combine yourself with someone to turn yourself into like a resident evil monster? More arms, more muscle mass, like, you know, he just, he only, he can only gain. And to add to this, Overhaul gives this big villain monologue where he reveals to 
Deku and Aide, like, you know, Mirio's quirk is gone forever. So he's just gloating and also pouring salt into little Aerie's wound by saying that it's her fault, you know. Them coming to save her is why he's quirkless now and why everyone here is going to die. Right, he's still not relenting on just, like, manipulating her during all this. He's a fucking bastard, but it's, it's kind of amazing. You have to respect how evil he's grueling to get here. Right, like, he's really going there. You're yelling at, like, a little six-year-old girl, man. <laughs> <laughs> and everything he's saying to Eri is just wrecking this poor little girl, like, causing her to believe all of this is her fault to the point where she's even second-guessing running away from Deku. Because... Overall, it's just all like, all of this can end if you just come with me. If you just come with me, they'll all leave, and everything will be fine. Nobody will die. No one will get hurt. Mm -hmm. You just gotta come with me. Night Eye leads the charge against Overhaul, but it doesn't end well. He uses foresight, and he foresees his own demise. Hole right through the chest. Just, and, like, he sees it, too, in, like, the little film strips, which, by the way, I like how they, like, show his quirk as, like, basically him watching film strips. Mm -hmm. And then he sees himself getting stabbed, blood's basically covering the entire strips, and then it cuts to him just basically skewered in the chest and in the arm by two spikes. Well, they also make it a big deal that, like, he's got hang-ups about, like, what he sees in the future as well, because, like, he always ha he has a consistent fear that everything he sees in the future will always come true. So I think so I think there is maybe some implication in a way that like like seeing that in the future kind of makes him slip up a little bit too and feel like he, there's nothing he can do to avoid it. Like he kind of accepted his own demise there. Right, right. You know, it's it's real sad. It's real sad just how like this guy feels like he can see anything in the future but he also feels so trapped by it as well. Yeah. Just kind of hopeless and just like very dour. Like his quirk is kind of like a double-edged sword here. I know, it makes him very cynical and I think right here it really just it really just, you know, sealed his fate. Yeah, and just, uh... <laughs> like, we only just got to know Sir Night-Eye, and now he's... Now he's got a hole in him. <laughs> he's, got... <laughs> he's a human shish kebab. <laughs> and, uh, side note, rewatching this arc and looking at what's currently happening in the manga kind of makes me think that Horikoshi was kind of basically using this arc as a bit of a, you know, to get his fans mentally prepared for what's to come, you know? Like, he's kind of preparing people, saying, like, okay, you know I'm not going to hold back, so whatever happens next... Just be ready for it. Oh, yeah, because, like, he's already brutal in this arc right here. So, like, yeah, I think in some ways he was giving fans a bit of the a taste of a, what kind of brutal action they'll see later in the series. He's just going, like, it's a good This To say that, like, the Shie Hisaikai arc is just an appetizer is not entirely false. Oh, yeah, like, we have, what, two big main courses coming later? Yes, definitely. You know, he's just saying, like, just be ready, people, because it's going to get heavier later on. So Mirio is trying to push himself to run away with Eri, but, like, he can't even stop to think about, like, Night Eye right here. Like, he's got to keep moving forward. He can't think about his, like, his mentor dying right here. So it's all up to Deku now, but at this point, he's outmatched, and Overhaul continues to manipulate Eri into coming back with him in exchange for sparing Deku, Mirio, and the others. And, like a fucking hero here, Deku isn't gonna let it end like this. This fight is still on, though it gets interrupted with... Uraraka, Su, Ryukyu, and a big baddie crashing through the ceiling right here. <laughs> and, uh, by the way, at this point, I want to mention, uh, this is where I jumped into the manga right here. This is oh, actually my really? starting point. really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Was it that good enough for you to jump into? It was that good enough because I had to know more, and also, like, I mentioned the My Hero panel er earlier, like, around that time, it got accepted. Oh, right, you wanted to be up to date on it. Yeah, that. it got accepted, so, like, I wanted to get caught up, but hey... That was just an excuse, because I, I was probably going to, like, read it regardless if right. that panel got accepted. No, this was a good time to get back, get in. <laughs> yeah. So, rewind. How did this happen? 
uh, Ryuku and her team were fighting off the big baddie, and Uraraka got a tip from Deku to send the big guy right through the ground where Overhaul is. And this is all part of the League's 4D chess game, as it was Hime disguised as Deku tipped off Uraraka. And uh, also right here, we get to see her out of disguise, and she kind of has the anatomy of a Barbie doll. He knows that. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, they they get to send the reinforcements to, like, fuck over Overhaul again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Overhaul looks to get away with Aerie until she sees Lemillion's cape flowing in the wind. And this is what gives her the resolve to finally get away from this asshole. And we finally learn about her quirk, Rewind. And also we learned her backstory and how she came into contact with Overhaul. Like, what do you think of all this here? Uh, quite quite, quite scary, but also quite fascinating. Just like how Aerie was, like, basically the granddaughter of the original boss of Chie Saikai. And you see just how much shit she's really gone through. And just like how she manifested her quirk at the point where, like, her father touched her and she basically rewound him into non-existence here, and her mother was just so scared of her that she kind of abandoned her to, like, live with this guy, and then he kind of passed him on to Overhaul. Mm-hmm. And it just led to all these, this big chain of events right here. Yeah, you, you can really see how, like, she's been, like, brainwashed all this time into thinking that she's a monster since the day she was born. And we also see bits and bobs here of, like, how Overhaul uses Ares' quirk to, like, make the drugs and how he basically breaks her apart and then rebuilds her to kind of get, like, the material he needs to make the bullets. It's yeah. It's so brutal. It's pretty messed up. But Ares uses Rewind to split Overhaul and Emoto apart and then jumps into the arms of Deku, and at this moment, I'm just like, yes, she trusts him! <laughs> He'll save her this time, he finally does it! <laughs> like, this is such a cathartic moment. Very nice. And also the music here, like, this kind of slow, soft ballad that's going on, it's just, it's so perfect. Yeah. And yet, sadly, another one that looked better in the manga. <laughs> it kind of did, yeah. Because, like, in the manga, they do such a cool, like, thing with the panels where, um, you know, Chisuke is trying to, is like... You know, he's screaming at the top of his lungs that he wants, like, Aerie back. And, like, in Horikoshi, uses, like, the fingers of his arm reaching out for Aerie to frame the panels, like, on yeah. the page. It looks genius. <laughs> it looks really good. Like, something like a, like an artist like John Williams III, like, over in, like, the U.S. would, like, do or something with his panels. It looks really clever. And the anime does make an effort to make it look good, mm-hmm. but it can't hold a candle. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, I feel like the soundtrack and some of the framing does make up for it, too. Right. And, like, the moment itself is just pretty amazing anyway. Yeah, it still sells it, yeah. Yeah. Oh, which, uh, by the way, talking about the animation, I forgot to mention, uh, it was uh, during uh, Lemillion's fight with Overhaul where I noticed a bit of a dip in animation quality where it kind of turned into a bit of a slideshow than an actual animated fight at that point. Yeah, time. yeah, it, it does dip a bit around Like, that you, you can tell that they were kind of taking some shortcuts there. Yeah. Like, it worked, but I, I would have preferred seeing that in motion. Mm-hmm. So all of this leads to the ultimate finale of the arc, as Overhaul, not ready to give up just yet, combines himself with his goons, like, especially the big guy that fell through the floor, and turns himself into this giant fuck-off monster right here with the sole intent of killing Deku. Mm-hmm. Like, he's done with this kid, he's gonna murder him on the spot. And the only way Deku can combat this is he needs to not only go beyond, but go beyond harder then he's ever gone beyond before, and then go beyond that. He's got to use one for all at 100%. And he does this with Aerie tied to his back with Lemillion's cape as she's just constantly using her rewind quirk to basically heal him as fast as he can break himself. That's that's a pretty genius idea. It's so clever. <laughs> it's so cool. And then he and then it it just results in like the climax of this of this arc. 
it, I'm just, I saw this, I'm just like, it's fucking on. Bring, bring on the finale. And yet it almost doesn't even feel like a fair fight, even at this point. No, Deku kind of just curb stomps uh, overhaul here. The previous fights of this arc were already, holy shit, this is cool. But this is like, holy mother of fucking god, this is cool. <laughs> and the flexing. This is some one for all levels of flexing right here. I mean, it looks, it does, it does look good. Not as good as like some other fights I've seen out there, but like it does look fine enough. I especially love the one shot where it kind of, it almost kind of looks like a big one punch man gatling gun kind of fist shot where it just it does a bit. battering him in the air. Yeah, it's, it's all sold quite well. Yeah, I'll, I'll splice it in some of it. It sounds great. Don't get it. You took me in. I just want to repay you. Not to worry. Just lay back and relax. I owe you everything. You were strong, but those diseased heroes backed you into a corner. Once my plan is on track, I'll repair you. And you'll thank me for what I've done. Why doesn't anybody see the big picture? I'm going to tear down this entire world, destroy its very foundation. You're all blinded by some outdated sense of what's right. You're just pretending to be heroes. I won't let you stand in my way! If I can't save Harry, one small child who's relying on me to help her! So in the end, Deku smashes the hell out of Overhaul and stands tall with Airy on his back, all while Sir Night Eye on his last legs is brought up to the surface, and he looks in awe as his foresight saw Deku being killed and Overhaul winning, 
not today. Deku has smashed the future. Mm. <laughs> just, mwah, ah, what a finish. It's all coming together so well. It's just, ah, it's amazing. <laughs> Let's bring this arc to a close. As Aria is losing control of her quirk, as evident by the big boss-style horn on her head, as uh, she rewinds overall and his goons back to normal, but before she rewinds Deku into nothing, Aizawa makes a comeback and erases her quirk. All the Yakuza are being rounded up, and the injured heroes taken to a local medical facility. And while Overhaul is being taken to a local medical facility, the League finally strikes. The League attacks the ambulance and the entourage carrying Overhaul, and they, they bring him out, just like drag him out of the ambulance for like one last fuck you. It's kind of beautiful here and almost poetic in a way. It's it's a it's a hell of a power move and this was one of my favorite moments. Like it, this arc had all this all this stuff going on and yet this was my favorite moment. Care to explain what happens here? Shigaraki and uh the rest of the league uh head off overhauls um uh is his uh, haul to prison, attack his truck and like kill some of the other uh, cops there and stuff. And then they pull him out. And then they, like, take off of his body the quirk-destroying bullets, just stealing his legacy. But not only that, <laughs> they have Mr. Compress steal his arm the same on the same side that Mr. Compress had, had, had yes. his stolen. <laughs> and then Shigaraki, like, disintegrates and then cuts off his other arm as payment for Magna. <laughs> and then just tells him, like... Like we're like we're gonna be the ones to take. Like if anyone's going, to, if anyone's gonna take on the future and rule the world, it's gonna be us. <laughs> and now you don't even have a thumb to suck on. <laughs> <laughs> that line in particular just that great. really just like and just like that final scream from overall as he as he like realizes he has nothing left. Like he's just festering in his own failure as his like skin starts to kind of like go into a rash and to get highs, and he's just like. <laughs> and then they just fucking and then the league just walks away like badasses yeah <laughs> i was like oh you magnificent bastards and like you know he perfected a drug to take quirks away from people and in the end he himself was left quirkless because since he doesn't have any arms he can't use overhaul i know that's pretty fucked up that's just ah <laughs> oh, man reap what you sow man oh god and so ends the ballad of Kai Chisaki, a.k.a. Overhaul. Uh, any final words for Overhaul, considering as things currently stand in the manga, this is basically a send-off? My god, what a, what a fine villain, you know? Like, what a villain that could have, like, gone on for, like, much longer, but, like, god, like, Horikoshi gets, like, the... Like, he really gets the mileage out of him in this arc. Yeah, what is essentially, like, a one-and-done baddie. Like, he makes the most of his minutes in this series. Made him into one of the best villains of the series thus far. But yeah, who knows what the future holds for him, but, uh, probably nothing good. Nope, nothing good. Uh, he's not the only one getting a send-off, as at the hospital, the heroes, including Deku, Mirio, and even All Might, stand beside Sir Nighteye on his deathbed in his final moments. And I'll splice it in the scene. I'm so sorry. Is that you, All Might? You feel like talking now that I'm on my deathbed? I don't know what to say. I was wrong. I pushed you away, and now I- Night Eye! Hang in there! Please, you have to live! I've never heard you sound so penitent before, All Might. But I didn't resent you for what happened between us. I mean that. All I wanted was for you to be happy. And if you've decided to fight fate, then I- You should be fighting it too. Please, give me a chance to make up for what I've done. 
There's nothing to make up for. I wanted to change the future to keep you from being killed. I looked for ways to alter the fate I'd seen. I tried. But there was nothing I could do. And then today, Midoriya succeeded where I failed. I believe it might have to do with the energy contained in thoughts. The power of a vision so strong it leaves no room for doubt and strives toward the desired future. It wasn't just Midoriya. Everyone there truly believed that what they were fighting for could come to pass. Maybe what we saw today was the result of that energy converging on Midoriya and being released. You've changed my thinking. You've shown me the future isn't set in stone. And that's enough for me. I only have one regret left. Sir! Togeta! Don't give up! Please keep fighting! Don't die on me! Mirio, I failed you. This is my fault. If only I'd been there. Don't say that! You were always there, teaching me and showing me how to be strong. Everything I am now is because of you. Don't you see? I'm not ready. Please don't leave me. Mirio, forgive me. In the beginning, I only looked at you as a potential vessel for one for all. But you followed me. You believed in me. And before I knew it, you became my pride and joy. One last time, let me see. You'll be okay. You're going to become the finest hero the world's ever seen. That's one part of the future that shouldn't be changed. Work hard. And be sure to smile. <laughs> After all, without joy and laughter to balance the sorrow, this world cannot hope to have a bright future. And so he passes, surrounded by those he loved and cared about, and with a smile on his face. Farewell, Sir Night Eye. Goodbye, Goodbye. sweet knight. Oh man, that I remember watching that scene the first time, and watching it again, just like, it kind of got the feels going. It does get to you. It's just, uh... Again, another kind of like, one and done kind of character here, but he, again, he made the he, most he, of his time. Yeah, his time was used well. Just like, both him and overall, and like, just different different parts of the spectrum here. Well, don't worry. You can see a little bit more of him in the Vigilante series. Just a tiny bit. Just a tiny if I bit. ever get to that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, before we head into the break, uh, any kind of final words for like what is essentially the heaviest arc of My Hero up to this point? Ooh, fantastic. Like, ooh, it's, 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 it's juicy to bite into. It's, it's a delight. Like, this was an arc I was really waiting for because I heard so many things about like, oh, you can't wait to get to the Yakuza arc. And I saw this and I'm just like, it delivered. 
it delivered on all fronts. Yeah, but also a hard one to watch, like, week to week, like, reading the manga as well. Because, mm-hmm. like, oh, God. Like, that was that was, that was was a nail-biter each Yeah, week. like, watching it, I'm just like, oh, can it be Saturday again? I really want to see what happens next. Yeah, it really was. And also, I gotta say, I stress heaviest up to this point in the series, because... You ain't seen Heavy until you've seen the recent uh, arc of the manga. Yeah, it's 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 so fucking crazy. Yeah, like, anime-only peeps, give it about maybe two years, potentially season six when that happens. Whew, yeah. But uh, at this point, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with the second half of My Hero Academia, the season before. everywhere are struggling with a sense of unease. In this new reality, fear is on the rise, and we need heroes more than ever. If you want to get stronger, then walk on through. If I worry about what everyone else is doing, I'll never be the best. I'll forge my own path to the number one spot. The symbol of peace is gone, and the people are looking not for a dim light, but a dazzling one. At this point, those in the shadows and those in the light are both leaderless. Someone must take control. What are you planning? Please, don't go. When we put on our costumes and take to the streets, we are heroes. I've spread my roots across this country. I'll break the natural order of things. Whatever it takes, I will save that girl!
we're back, and with all the shit that went down, we need a fucking breather. <laughs> and the second half of season four has you covered. And during this time, we get a new opening and ending. The opening is Star Maker by Kanaboon, taking time out of writing uh, Naruto openings to do this song. And the ending is Shout Baby by Ryoko Shoku Shikai. Uh, what do you think of these songs? Uh, the, the the ending? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. The, the opening, though, uh, very bright and cheery. I love all the I love all the uh, color design going on in it. I really like all that. Um, really sets up that uh, this is going to be a very lighthearted uh, next section. Of yeah, the series. I I love the opening and also Kanaboon. You know, they did probably the best openings of Naruto and Boruto, and now they're doing like definitely a top opening for My Hero Academia here. And this song's just so fun. Yeah, like the things I really wish like if the pandemic hadn't happened and Detour went as planned, like. One of the things I was going to do for the My Hero panel was I was going to start off by playing this opening to, like, start off the panel. Yeah, yeah that would have been really I was nice. going to start, I was just going to jam out to that. So imagine me dressed up as a Raka jamming out to this song, like, there. It would have yeah, happened. That would have been really nice. Yeah. But, oh, well, while this was airing on Toonami, at least I jammed out every t- every weekend watching this. At song. least end that to yourself. Yeah. Uh, so while the heroes decompress from the previous arc, Gran Torino, Tsukauchi, and others track down Kurugiri and they apprehend him, and he reveals something big here. He reveals a large ace in the hole courtesy of All for One in the form of Gigantomachia, played here by Chris George. This is all we see for now, this guy, but uh, we'll get to know him a little bit more later. But all then- you need to know is that he can level a mountain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he does it all for his master. But this is pretty much a see-you-next-season kind of character here. Yeah. But back at the local medical facility, Mirio and Deku make a promise to keep on smiling in memory of Sir Night-Eye. And despite being quirkless, Mirio vows to remain in high spirits, not only for Night-Eye, but also for Aerie's sake. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, him and Deku don't want to make a little girl cry, brah. Yeah. But now it's time for the big part of this uh, earlier second half arc, as Bakugo and Todoroki head out for their provisional licensing training. And they are joined by All Might and President Mike as chaperones. Always nice to see All Might with some of the other 1A kids other than Deku. Yeah. And they're not the only pros in attendance here as Endeavor, you know, father of the year is in attendance to watch over his son. And to also have some one-on-one time with All Might considering he's the new number one and he needs some advice on how to carry himself with that title. Mm -hmm. He's just basically like, All Might, I need you to teach me how to be hip with the kids <laughs> what do i need to do oh no i don't think i can help you with that <laughs> no i'm actually not all that cool <laughs> oh come on don't sell yourself short you're the coolest man ever <laughs> oh thank you i never knew you thought about me that way <laughs> but back with bakugo and todoroki as they aren't alone in this training as they're joined by students of shiketsu from the provisional license arc in season three which means my boy, Inasa is back, baby! Hey, that's always a treat. Love seeing my big windy boy back. Like, <laughs> when I read this in the manga, I popped super hard. I'm just like, yes! This is Prodigal Son's back. It's it's one of the rare moments because, like, you can't really do much with him being on the other side of the country. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just, I'm just eating up all the time I can have with him, you know, savoring every last minute. Yes, definitely savor it. And here he's just he's just full on boy mode here as he's trying to like become friends with Todoroki after you know they had their feud during the licensing exam. Mm-hmm. I love his bit saying like, "Hey, Todoroki, what kind of food do you like?" Uh, soba, I guess. Cool, I like that too, but I like mine hot. But you're supposed to eat it cold. Ah, that's pretty cool, right? <laughs> and Inasa isn't alone as he's with Kami. Uh, not like before where it was Hime in disguise. I mean, the real Kami. Technically, here. we haven't even met her yet. <laughs> so yeah, nice to meet you, Kami, played here by Brittany Karbaski. <laughs> the, toga's, the Toga's initial impression, pretty spot on. 
pretty much, you know, less crazy. <laughs> Though, the one thing Toga couldn't get right is her uh, teen girl speak. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I honestly kind of love it. <laughs> Very trendy girl. And I love that she just casually calls uh, Todoroki a babe and a snack in, like, the same sentence. <laughs> like, she's in total airhead, and I kind of love her. Yeah, she comes across the kind of girl that'll just have, like, a new boyfriend each month or something. (laughs) Just passing out her number to everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Seeing what bites. Yeah. (laughs) But, like, I like to imagine they're just, like, really confused dates. Like, they don't know what to do with her when they're on there. (laughs) And she never breaks up with any of them. They're just like, uh, you're you're not really a good fit for me. You're not my type. It's it's not you, it's me. It's not you, it's it's me. me. It's mostly you. And then she's just like, okay, yeah, that's chill, whatever. Bye. (laughs) Totes you later. See you around. (laughs) (laughs) So the instructor for this training is none other than Gang Orca. Always a pleasure to see him. And I love that he starts off this whole training by just berating everybody here, calling them fish turds and just picking them up and throwing them halfway across the room. <laughs> like, I love this bit with, like, a Todoroki. He's calling him a fish turd, and he's like, well, I'm not a fish turd, I'm a person. He's like, that's insubordination. <laughs> so what kind of training do our soon-to-be heroes have to do? Deal with the most dangerous entity imaginable. Elementary school's kids. Oh, no! The worst villains yet. <laughs> yes, they have to win the hearts of these unruly brats. They need to bring out their inner Fran Drescher and become the nannies. <laughs> I gotta say, I feel bad for this poor teacher having to deal with these kids on a daily basis. Uh, yeah, they're they're real uh, rugrats. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, we see her, and she's just at the end of her rope, just kind of pleading with everyone, just saying, like, I'm sorry my children are just so unruly, just please, just... Try to work with them. <laughs> they are little shits, though. They are. <laughs> and watching this has reaffirmed my desire to never have kids. <laughs> I mean, I think I could deal with them, but, like, I can't say my methods would be humane. <laughs> no, just, no, just look at this. Just make this a uh, perfect commercial for birth control. <laughs> and uh, one thing I like about this whole arc here is that uh, I love that present Mike, being in attendance, he can't help himself and has to do play-by-play And he for has this. to do play-by-play. Like, he's just sitting there in the audience just kind of fidgeting, going like, uh, it's a little quiet in here. Uh, I can't do this. It's like, oh, welcome to the provincial licensing training. We're going to watch these kids. They'll try to get it, reach these little elementary school rugrats. You know what? At least he loves his job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how do we reach these kids? Bakugo's method? Find the leader and make an example of them and kick their ass. <laughs> You know, he's, he has to do, like, prison yard rules. <laughs> Which one of you is the biggest? Which one of you is the tallest? I'll even let you get the first hit in. Come on. Come on. Come at me. Come at me, bro. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> Fucking bring it, you little shit. But, uh, unfortunately, we don't get to see Bakugo fight small children. Boo. <laughs> uh, Inasa and Todoroki try to do things peacefully, but the kids aren't having any of it. One, the kids are too smart for Inasa, and two, Todoroki's too boring for them. And one thing I want to mention is, like, I love how when the kids first come out, they're kind of messing around with everyone's costumes. And they walk up to Todoroki, and they kind of mess with the little kind of uh, medical supplies dangling from his belt. And they're all like, eh, what are this? You got five wieners? Wieners, wieners. <laughs> what are you, like, Jotaro from Part 8? You got multiple testicles? <laughs> and also, uh, Kami tries to help, but uh, she can't do much because the girls in the class think she's a hussy. Not Jotaro, Josuke. <laughs> <laughs> You, fuck, you fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> Cut that. And it's in. <laughs> it's Josuke who has four bulbs. <laughs> I'll keep that in. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we see the kids go on attack, and uh, while the young heroes defend themselves, and holy crap, these kids are strong. 
Yeah, the, yeah. One one uh, commentator on this uh, posits a theory that uh, kids, uh, each each successive generation of kids is getting uh, stronger and more uh, powerful with their quirks, like at earlier ages. So, yeah, there are these guys. Everyone here has their hands full. And uh, in the melee, we get to see Kaney's quirk. As her quirk is glamour, she can create illusions by uh, blowing smoke. And uh, one of those illusions is uh, glammed up uh, Todoroki, or Glamoroki as Bakugo calls him. <laughs> you know, just in the smoke, one of the little girls sees uh, Todoroki going like, you're a beautiful princess, and she's all like, ah, it's him, but then he just disappears. <laughs> and then Bakugo imitates him too, and just laughs at him. <laughs> but uh, in the end of it all, the heroes use their quirks not to fight back, but to have fun. Todoroki creates a giant slide with ice for the kids to play on. Inasa uses his quirk to like uh, fly him up into the air onto the top of the slide. And uh, Kami creates an Aurora Borealis effect at this time of year, at this time of day, in this part of the country localized entirely within this training facility here. <laughs> and they successfully win the hearts of the children. Even Bakugo gets a little moment with one kid where he tells him, like, ah, kid, I just, like, just pl- don't be a dick like me. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the bratty leader kid. <laughs> yeah. Just like, look, just have some fun, kid. You don't want to be like me. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, overall, nice little little mini two-parter arc here. Yeah, v- very short, very short. And also it featured my boy Inasa, so it's an instant 10 on 10. Though the biggest aspect of this arc was uh, Endeavor and his conversations with All Might as we see them ear splice through this training. Not only is he trying to like win the hearts of uh, you know the people of Japan, but he's trying to attempt to connect with his son a bit here. You know, He's trying to get back into his life. Yeah, because he's just now realized, like, oh, I abused my family for years to, like, get up his, to, like, all to work towards a position, and now it's just been handed to me. I've been such no a thanks dad. To yeah, no thanks to any of my efforts, so, yeah, I just, I, I just abused my family for years. And he's like, hey, son, great job out there. Fuck you, dad. <laughs> well, yeah, he's, uh, he's got a long way to go here, Endeavor. Mm-hmm. And I'm all for this journey. More on that later. Yep. And uh, briefly, I want to bring up here uh, Aoyama being a creeper for like a <laughs> couple of scenes here. Yeah, for like, yeah, I don't, I don't get that. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird. For like a brief, like, uh, yeah, I was in the manga too. Like for like a brief couple of chapters, uh, Midoriya had like Aoyama as a neighbor or something, and Aoyama makes his presence known, and he's just kind of like a weirdo. <laughs> like during the day, he's just all like, "Hey, Midoriya, want to have some cheese, Monami? It's delicious," and just feeds him cheese out of nowhere. Maybe he was just like, you know what, maybe Horikoshi was like, you know what, I'm never going to develop Aoyama beyond, like, the simple things. <laughs> like, he is, like, the most straightforward of all the heroes. There's nothing really that complex to him. <laughs> like, I'll just give him this. And, like, there's bits where, like, we see Aoyama spying through Deku through his window in the middle of the night, watching him sleep. <laughs> and then, like, Deku looks out after he walks away and he sees messages written... In cheese, the fiend. <laughs> it's like I know what you did last summer, but if the killer was Wallace from Wallace and Gromit, I have a personal theory that he's trying to play the long game and play matchmaker between him and Uraraka. Oh, well, he does know, yeah, he does know, he does know. So I think he's, uh, he's playing, he's, I think, he, I think that he's playing the long game here. He wants to show Deku that he can be a good wingman. <laughs> There's, there's the modus operandi. Yeah, but yeah, in the end, turns out Ayama just feels a connection to Deku because he knows Deku's body can't handle his quirk, and uh, he's the same way because uh, his naval laser tends to leak out if he doesn't wear his special belt. Mm-hmm. You know, he just wanted to make friends, though. Could have done a better approach, though. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also kind of wondering with this little tangent is, uh, this is Horikoshi's way of saying, don't worry, I haven't forgotten the whole traitor mole within UA thing. You know, this made me... 
I'm, I'm just maybe hinting at it, but nah, it's actually a joke, so don't worry about it. Yeah, like I, I, I like to think Aoyama would he's he would never do anything bad. No, he's he he's he too just, nice. He, yeah, he's too stupid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but time for the final arc of season four, and it's a fun one. When this arc starts, I got to shout out uh, Mina's sick breakdancing skills. <laughs> it, Bringing them back. <laughs> no, eat your heart out, Jack Evans. <laughs> she's, she's all like, say someone's dissing your fly girl. You just give him one of these. <laughs> just give him one of these. But anyway, Class 1A is getting ready for the annual UA school festival, and they have to decide what their class is going to do. And all of them have great ideas, except for Mineta. I mean, it's a it's a high school, so they had to do this at some point. <laughs> yeah, just uh, I feel like we mentioned this before, but uh, school cultural festivals in Japanese high schools always seem like they're the funnest thing ever. They do seem pretty fun, but a lot of work though. A lot of work, but I'm pretty sure it's all labor of love. Yep, a lot of labor of love, a lot of free labor. <laughs> also, you get to ditch class. Yeah, uh, yeah, that, that is one nice advantage. And I love that them just like listing off all these ideas, and like Ida and Yamamo are just all like, "Very good, very good. I love this idea." Like they love every single idea. Someone's just like, someone's just like, who suggested study club? We study all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and it just cuts to like Yamamo, and she's all like, "I guess that's true." <laughs> I also like one little subtle joke here, where like for some reason nobody knows what a funhouse is. Yeah, that is kind of yeah. Weird. Like Hagakure suggests a funhouse, and then Ida's all like, "Okay, whatever that is." And then Yamamo is just all like, "Yeah, I don't really know what a funhouse is, so that's probably gonna be cut." I don't know. Maybe it's like maybe it's like another one of those translation things. Maybe that like one word doesn't like translate well over and maybe I don't know. Maybe <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's maybe it sounds like love hotel to them. <laughs> <laughs> now everyone knows that a funhouse is something simple. It's a little nice little brightly colored room with some creepy looking puppets and a guy in a Mr. Rogers jacket saying "yowie wowie." <laughs> But after much deliberation, 1A does come to the conclusion that they need to do something for all the school to have fun with. Especially considering a lot of the bad stuff that happens to them in the school is pretty much kind of their fault, really. Yeah. So everyone kind of hates them. <laughs> so they need to get back into their good graces. So they decide to use Mina's dance lessons from earlier to put on a big performance for everyone. But dancing isn't complete without music. And who can provide that? Well, none other than our resident music gal, Jiro. And uh, I really like when they're big enough Jiro to, like, lead the music part of the the project. It's uh, Kaminari and Koda, the ones that are kind of really supporting her the most. Everyone's it, hyping her up, but, like, she's, she's you know, she's she's a bit of a wallflower here. Yeah, she's she had to get pushed a little bit to kind of do this, you know, because uh, she loves music, but she's kind of a little, a little shy about her love of music. Yeah. So, meanwhile, Deku and Mirio go to visit Eri in the hospital, and they have a nice little heart-to-heart with her. She still blames herself for what happened, and also she doesn't know that Night Eye is dead, so... And no one has the heart to tell her, and they don't want to tell her. Because <laughs> it's it would end badly. It's a good thing she never asked about him. Like, oh, is Night Eye, is Night Eye gonna be, like, come like come, come join us at some point? Oh, yeah, he's, uh, he's busy right now. He's, <laughs> he uh... moved to a farm. <laughs> <laughs> He went back to his home planet. <laughs> uh, what's even sadder is that uh, she can't even smile anymore because mm. of Overhaul's darkness is still lingering over her. Yeah. And, like, the part where she's trying to, like, push her face up to try to make a smile, she can't even do it. It's, oh. it's so sad. So Deku and Mirio get the great idea to help her and lift her spirits up. They decide to bring her to the UA School Festival. And it's also just... Ugh, sweet, just kind of feeling the diabetes here. Yep. <laughs> like, even Mirio promises her a candy apple, and he even calls it a date, too. It's so cute. She, like, brightens up with so much when she hears the candy apple. Yeah, and, like, a little bit of drool kind of drips down because she thinks it's the tastiest thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> All while this is going on, 
a new villain emerges. A criminal, a gentle criminal, played here by John Gramillion. And it's Holy pro- shit, doing some role outside of Hawkeye, Hawkeye Mihawk from One Piece. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know he has other roles, but it's like, he, he he's not one of those like voice actors that comes up very often. No, but uh, that's a good thing about My Hero, is that with such a big cast, you kind of kind of have to like dig deep into the talent pool here. And my god, does his does does his Hawkeye voice fit so well for this character? Oh my god, it's sounding like a posh shithead too. Yes, I love it. And he's joined by his partner in crime, La Brava, played here by Megan Shipman, who's uh, pulling double duty this season because she also played Little Mirio in the flashbacks. <laughs> and look at these two. Look at these two Silver Age Batman villains. Though, like, honestly, like, even though I say that, they kind of look more like Venture Brothers villains. <laughs> A little bit, yeah. <laughs> you know, just, like, have him join, like, uh, the Revenge Society. <laughs> <laughs> and also, we see that uh, he films his crimes and posts them online in kind of, like, uh, vlogs here. Horikoshi has actually gotten record to say that, like, uh, Gentle Criminal here was actually inspired by his love of uh, live streamers. <laughs> <laughs> He, or, like, YouTubers, at the very least. I think he says, like, he re- he watches a lot of, like, YouTubers that, blog, that like, vlog about their life. <laughs> and he was inspired by that to, like, create Gentle Criminal. A, a, a villain who, uh, like, live streams. <laughs> like, or at least vlogs about, like, his, his uh, criminal doings. So is Gentle Criminal basically the original VTuber? Uh, not, I wouldn't say VTuber. He's more like the original... Um, uh, I don't know, fucking Shane Dawson. I don't, <laughs> I don't fucking watch like VTubers. I don't. Wa- I don't fucking watch like vloggers or anything on YouTube. Nobody does. <laughs> like, no, a lot of people do, just not us. People who don't matter. Yeah, we we don't like watching soulless people like vlog about their lives all day. No, I watch good shit like people microwaving stuff. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> I need to know if it's a good idea. <laughs> And also, like, while he's uh, filming his crimes, you notice that he gets, like, a lot of different camera angles, but we see they only have the one camera, so it's, like, is Gentle, like, calling for cuts in the middle of his robbery to, like, get these angles? Oh my god, he is. I didn't think about that. (laughs) And then, like, Heroes bursts in, and he's all like, wait, 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 I wasn't really feeling that uh, entrance, though. You need to be more heroic. You know, let's let's do another take. Larava, darling, are you ready for another take? Okay, we're good. Do it again. (laughs) Like he asks, asks like the uh, the clerk at the at the cashier, going on like, uh, I, I don't know, what, what did you think of my performance right there? Well, I, I I can feel that you're really getting it, but there's just something missing, you know. You need to get lost in your character, man. Need a little more terror. Can you give us a little more terror? <laughs> terror, terror. Yeah, yes, I can do that. Okay, okay. Are we ready? Ready? Okay, action. This is a silly villain. He's so goofy. <laughs> And, like, even in the end, he, like, robs this uh, convenience store, but he doesn't take the money. He leaves it as, you know, as uh, his performance fee, as he calls it. Yeah, that's that's the excuse he'll, he'll use. <laughs> in reality, he just forgot. <laughs> uh, but these two are a lot of fun, and I just get a kick out of how much of a, of a shithead Gentle is. Uh, back with 1A, they settle on playing music live for their performance, and it turns out some of the kids are musically talented here. As uh, Bakugo knows how to play drums, your girl Yamamo is on keyboard... Jiro's on bass, and Tokoyami and Kaminari are both on guitar. You know Bakugo's mother made him take lessons. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) She made him take lessons, and that's why he hasn't, like, shown any of this talent yet. Yeah. He's tried to forget about it. You think she did that so he has, like, an outlet for his anger? He, she probably did. <laughs> you know, she probably tried to buy him a punching bag, but he destroyed that after ten seconds. And eventually so. she was just like, fine, fucking be a hero. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Worst thousand bucks I've ever spent on <laughs> drum lessons ever. <laughs> 
and the rest of the kids will be dancers and do uh, special effects, uh, with one of the special effects being Aoyama as a human disco ball. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's an inspired idea. <laughs> now all that's left is to figure out who's going to sing, and everyone wants Jiro, especially considering everyone else can't sing. And uh, we see that Jiro has some pipes here. And, and, final, and finally, we have something good that'll make for a voice sound clip here. Yep. <laughs> I'm with Ochako. It's gotta be you, Jiro. When you were teaching us how to play instruments in your room, your singing was super cool. I know you'll bring the house down. Come on. It wasn't that great. Maybe we... Hey, look, uh... a mic! We just laid our souls bare for them and they're ignoring us? Can Jiro really be that good? Ugh! I mean, come on! Don't be shy. Show us those pipes. We want to hear you sing something. You know everyone wants to sparkle like the stars in the night sky. In this wondrous place filled with all the dreams I've been wishing for. So yeah, Jiro's singing voice here, and later in the season, fun fact here, that's not actually Trina Nishimura or uh, Kai Shindo who plays her in Japanese. Her singing voice is actually done by Chrissy Costanza, a New Jersey-based singer-songwriter who's a member of the rock band Against the Current. She's uh, been active since 2011 and has recorded songs for uh, League of Legends and even performing them at championship events. Oh, cool! I didn't know that. That's actually really cool. That's, that's a nice little hire there. Yeah, so I'm kind of guessing, like, uh, since My Hero has such a big, wide uh, pull in a large Western fan base, uh, they decided they wanted someone to just sing in English because songs in English are kind of, like, universally, like, accepted, really. Yeah. And so later on, between school festival prep, Deku gets some more training with All Might, and this time he's learning how to consistently use more than 20%. The key is only going 20% for the big moves instead of just using it all the time. Mm -hmm. He practices with uh, finger flicks, bit of a callback to how he fought earlier in the series, which is nice. Yeah, I like that. He's actually trying to invent a way for him to use, like, uh, for, for him for him to uh, put himself at a distance to his enemies. Yeah, and this time not actually break his fingers again. Yeah. Afterwards, Mirio brings Eri over to UA for a visit, and this is also really cute here, where he's trying to, like, play a prank on everyone while they're dancing, but they immediately see him in the bushes and he's all like, well, that's my spot's ruined. <laughs> but he still tries to do it anyway by sticking his butt through a bush saying like, Hey guys, I brought a peach for you. <laughs> Never change. Uh, but Deku and Mirio show Eri around the school and they get to see what the other classes are doing for the festival. And uh, we see Class 1B, led by Nobody's Boy Monoma, are putting together a play. <laughs> and what is the name of that play? Romeo and Juliet and the Prisoner of Azkaban Return of the King. <laughs> Truly an original idea, like uh, Max Magician and the Legend of the Rings. They're just they're just fortunate this is a school play, so they don't have to run into copyright. <laughs> yeah, just... I'm still surprised they could even say Azkaban, though. Yeah, shouldn't, shouldn't like, uh, fucking Turf Rolling get on them or something like that? I know, like, I was actually surprised by that. Yeah. Like, Return of the King, that's ambiguous enough, so you don't have to worry about uh, J.R.L. Tolkien, but... Uh... Azkaban, like, you think... Like, that's a pretty distinct word right there. Yeah. I didn't, yeah, I, I did not expect that. Well, hey, they got it, and it's kind of amazing when we see it in action. This <laughs> mishmash of everything. Uh, Monoma's being more of a jackass than usual, since uh, Kendo isn't around to give him these hands. As she and the other UA girls are preparing for a beauty pageant. And Nejire's competing too, though every year she's always uh, come in second place behind the beauty pageant queen. 
that being Bibimi Kenranzaki and her eyelashes played here by Amanda Lee, a.k.a. Amelie. And her glorious lashes. <laughs> uh, eyelash implants. <laughs> Thought those were illegal. Not in Paraguay. She got those 40 lashes. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I hear after she won the school pageant, she also was crowned Pork Princess and Miss Kosher. <laughs> uh, after seeing all of this, it seems like Aerie is looking forward to the school festival, and Deku and Mirio are definitely looking forward to her seeing seeing all of this and enjoying it all. Though, there is a catch to this festival. With uh, all that's been happening with the villains and stuff, the police tried to have the festival cancelled in the interest of safety, but Principal Nezu fought hard for it, and uh, he was able to keep it going on the condition that uh, if the alarm goes off just once, even if it's a false alarm, then festival's canceled, everyone has to go home. Anyway, afterwards, uh, Deku continues his training and he gets some help in the form of a new baby created by Hatsume. Always a pleasure to see her come back. Yeah. And uh, it's a rejiggered glove that'll harness Deku's long-range air pressure attacks here. So, you know, the Lucius Fox to Deku's Batman comes in once again. Absorbs some, yeah, it absorbs some of the uh, impact from his blasts. Yeah. So he can uh, use it more often. Later that night, we return to Gentle Criminal and La Brava as they prepare for their next big plan. They plan on arching UA the same day as the school festival. But before they arch, Gentle needs his pre-arched tea, which he uh, will get at a local cafe near the school. That tea being the rare Gold Tips Imperial, which is the tea that Yamamo served to the rest of 1A the same night. <laughs> so the festival is soon upon us, and 1A looks to be all set. All that's left is for Deku to get some rope to lift Aoyama up in the air for the disco ball spot. And he plans to do so in the morning, right before the festival begins. He buys some rope at the local hardware store, located next to the school, and located right next to a certain cafe. Rope has been acquired about an hour and a half before showtime. As Deku heads back towards the school, he bumps into a shady-looking man and woman walking out of the cafe, having enjoyed themselves some gold tips imperial tea. Deku overhears that and mentions having the same tea the other night. But then, things start to click here. The man's voice. The tea. The way he acts, the fact that he's going straight towards UA, wait a minute, jigs up, gentle criminal. Uh, oh no, like the guy who streams himself all the time in like full garb and regalia <laughs> got caught so easily. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't post evidence online. <laughs> La Brava, start feeling because it's showtime. And so begins the fun Deku versus gentle criminal fight. A.K.A. this arc would have been really boring otherwise, if not without this fight. Yeah, we need to have some action here. <laughs> I mean, let's be real. Horikoshi made put this encounter in here because this arc wouldn't have had a fight otherwise. Right, it would have just gone straight to the school festival and it would have been... It would still have been fun, but like we need some little bit more action here. Yeah. And Gentle starts by showing off his quirk, Elasticity. This allows him to make anything he touches elastic, and I mean anything, including the air around him. Actually pretty cool. Yeah, that's actually really nice. Deku is determined to stop him because if they arch the school, then the festival is cancelled. And no festival means no musical performance, and no musical performance means no happy airy, and no happy airy means sad Deku. And also, just after the serious and heavy fights from the Shihei Saikai arc, it's just nice to have a very fun one here, though. Yeah. And also, this one does serve a bit of significance, because this is the first time Deku fights a villain completely on his own with no outside help. Two villains. He fights two, two villains, villains for the first time all on his own. Yeah, just no help, and he manages to, like, really hold himself in hold himself yeah, it, it, it does double as, like, that kind of, like, a little character moment as well, that, like, oh, he's he's, he's improving enough to where he can actually take down, like, villains on his, all on his own. And, like, after the likes of The League, 
Stain, all for one, Chie Saikai. It's nice for Deku to have a baddie that's a bit more manageable on his own. A uh, bit of autonomy. It's nice for him to be- get a bit of autonomy. And in this fight, Deku gets to put Hatsume's baby into action with a controlled air blast, a Delaware smash by using his finger flicks. Not only is Deku fighting gentle, but he's also fighting the clock as 1A's performance is getting closer and closer here. At one point, it's a nice 69 minutes away. <laughs> that had to have been on purpose. <laughs> And uh, one thing I want to mention around this time here is that, uh, as far as the dub goes, is uh, right around these episodes in particular is when uh, the pandemic started to have effects on the dub. And, yes, and this is where they started having to like record from home. Yeah, so they had to go through a bit of a transitional period, which means like rather than having new episodes every week and on Toonami, they had to take a break for a while, which meant Toonami had to like re-air a lot of reruns before they can get all caught up. Yeah. So, well, you can also hear hear slightly in the quality. It's subtle, but you can kind of sense some like difference in like the uh, vocal quality as well. Yeah, like if you have a really, really good ear for this kind of thing, you can kind of tell that uh, certain voices don't sound like they were don't sound as consistent. Right. I mean, it's better compared to like some at least like some other series out there. I at least think because I've heard testimony from like other series out there that have been recorded during pandemics that like other dubs have been a little rougher. <laughs> Yeah, like, uh, me personally, I haven't come across any of them yet, save for one or two lines in some shows here and there, but uh, for the most part, things have been pretty, pretty consistent for the most part. Yeah, fairly consistent, but mm-hmm. it's subtle difference, though. Yeah, like, it, it is noticeable if you can if you have a good ear. Yeah. So, yeah, from this point on, the entire dub was directed, recorded, mixed, and produced entirely within people's homes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know Funimation does have a video outlining this process, so, yeah, give that a watch if you're interested. And please tell us of any, and any everyone out there listening, please uh, feel free to tell us, inform us of any dubs that have uh, uh, truly suffered for because of this move to home. Yeah, but uh, despite all of this, I gotta say, you know, major props to everyone working on the dub, the dub here because, like, like even given the circumstances, and while it's not perfect in some cases, like it's nothing short of impressive, like what they're able to do here. Yeah, it is still impressive. And like they've been doing this since last March, so and we're in January at this point. Ugh, so long. So it's, I'm sure it's been super difficult, but we really appreciate all of you for what you're able to accomplish, and not even just the actors, directors, and writers. we really appreciate it. But uh, sound engineers, they're the real MVPs of this, having to make sure, like, everybody sounds consistent, despite the fact everyone has, like, a really different recording setup. Yes, we salute you. Like, it can't be easy, just, you're the unsung heroes, and everyone needs to show them a bit more respect. Yeah. Anyway, Gentle and LaBrava draw ever closer to UA, but Deku isn't gonna lay down and give up here. He uh, corners them in a nearby wooded area, and it looks like the end for the baddies until LaBrava activates her quirk. Her quirk is the most powerful thing known to man, and that is love. Uh, not, not metaphorically, I mean her quirk is called love, where she professes her love to someone and they gain a power boost here. And uh, we get a little bit of a rack story here. What do you think of that? Yeah, real, real bit of a sad one here. Because, like, well, we get the... Well, it's around this part that we finally get the uh, backstories of both her and Gentle Criminal and how they're uh, both outcasts of society somewhat. Yeah. But uh, way more sympathetic than, like, the villains we've seen of we, we've seen before, though. Yeah, and, like, uh, with uh, Gentle Criminal, like, uh, he was someone who wanted to be a hero, but he couldn't because he wasn't a good student. And then he just brought shame on, shame on himself and his family for trying to help a hero but ended up injuring him in the process so everyone hated him and just mm-hmm. send him down a road of villainy and then la brava is just a hikikomori you know <laughs> she just has trouble like relating to other people and like you know expressing her feelings so it just ostracized her so she just became like a shut-in yep until she found 
gentle criminals videos and just basically became drawn to him to the point where she wanted to be she fell in love with him and wanted to basically be his sidekick yeah but uh no she says she loves him and he reciprocates and he gets all powered up he kind of goes ultra instinct from dragon ball super his hair even flares up yeah (laughs) god like even though he's a smaller one here he's really getting put over pretty well he is and also uh looking at his backstory he's kind of similar to deku in a way you know saying like you kind of look at him and see, like, if Deku had failed, he would have become this. Mm-hmm. Would have just struck out on his own, you know, and become dejected. Yeah. So Deku and Gento continue to go blow for blow until Deku ends it with a St. Louis smash. But even though it's all over, Labrava won't leave his side, and Gentle starts to, he starts to feel bad about this whole thing because, you know, uh, between the two of them, she's kind of the more innocent party between this, so he's yeah. trying to, he wants to, like, just make sure she's the one who kind of leaves out of this unscathed while he takes the brunt of the, of the blame. Yeah, you know, real sad. Like, he even plans to turn himself in 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 exchange for her freedom. Like, he actually does really care about her. You know, it's not kind of like a Joker, Harley Quinn kind of thing here. Yeah. And, uh, by the way, if you're wondering, uh, Labrava's 22, Gentle's 32. Bit of an age gap, but they're both adults, so do with that as you please. (laughs) Right. And so, Gentle turns himself in and takes all the blame for everything. And, uh, he doesn't even out Deku as the person he was fighting, but, uh, Deku does come and say, like, yeah, we did fought, but uh, he was just going to pull a prank and I was just going to stop him. He's not a, he's not a threat. And, uh, you know, he's an honorable man. And he just decides to take his medicine right here. Truly a gentle criminal. Nice to, nice to see a better, nice to see a sympathetic villain in the series uh, thus far. Yeah, and like, uh, even though this is, this is basically... Or at least a more innocent one. Yeah, and as it stands, this is kind of him and LaBrava's last appearance in the series for now. And uh, honestly, I wouldn't mind them coming back for like a cameo or something to see just how they're doing since then. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I would hope to see them doing better, you know. Especially since we don't know much of anything about at all about, like, how, like, w- like do villains in this universe even get rehabilitated? Yeah, like... Is there... we, I don't think we've seen a single one that was re- that's been rehabilitated this far. You know, is there, like, kind of a My Hero Arkham Asylum that tries to, like, turn the... Try to get the, the depths of, like, these villains to try to see, like... If there's anything saving. Or is the prison system really that fucked yeah. <laughs> in, this, in this country? <laughs> a, good ang- a good angle to explore. I hope to explore it. Yeah. So Deku makes it back to 1A just in time, which means it's time for their performance. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the moment you waited for. This is Hero 2 as performed by Class 1A. Splicey. Kiyoka. You can do whatever you want. Now, start, damn it! Let's show them what we've got! Get ready, UA. Our sound is gonna kill you!
Just keep watching. I'm sure he'll show up again. I'm sorry. Did you think we'd be upset? Come on, kid. It's just... It was hard to decide. Helping out others and making them happy. It just seems so cool. I've always admired it. But you taught me music and I didn't want to waste that either. Because I love music too, so... I didn't know what to do. Kiyoka. You can do whatever you want. Just remember this. Your mom and I became musicians because that's our great love. But this stuff can take a while. You have to pay attention to how things make you feel. Choosing a career is a big decision. And you have some good options. Maybe you can help others with your sound. In that sense, musicians and heroes aren't too different, right? Man what, a, man, what a banger. I love this. This song's so good. Seeing them all work together and, like, just dish out this, like, you know, sweet-ass song, it's it's satisfying. Yeah, and as mentioned before, this is Chrissy, Chrissy Costanza singing as Jero here, and uh, first time I heard this, honestly, you couldn't even tell the difference. Like, you could, you can assume that it's just basically either Chita Nishimura or her Japanese actress. Yeah, it all comes together quite well. And uh, the biggest moment of the song, Airy Smiling. Yeah... Just, you see the darkness of Overhaul kind of engulf her, but then the light shines and she's just so happy. And then it cuts to Mirio and he's just crying tears of joy seeing this. It's so good. Yeah. And I saw this in the manga first and I couldn't wait to see how the anime did this whole scene. And they knocked it out of the park. <laughs> and uh, I love the bit after the performance where uh, Hound Dog gives out to Deku for not asking for help with Gentle Criminal. <laughs> which is pretty great. <laughs> Though, unfortunately, he doesn't throw him off screen like in the manga. He just kind of yells at him and Deku runs away. (laughs) 
But what was kept in the manga was uh, Eri running up to Deku, telling him how much she loved the concert, and uh, Mirio copies all of her movements at this. This is the cutest thing. Yeah, it was really cute. Like, she lifts off her hands, he lifts up his hands, she puts him to the side, he puts his to the side. I love that. He's a real big bro. Anyway, as for the rest of the school festival, one bee's plagiarized mishmash of a play goes over well. And in the end, Nejire wins the beauty pageant. After coming in second two years running, she finally wins her senior year. Ah, that's nice for her. L the losers in her way. I the income she will make. <laughs> T is for her tooth filled mouth. T is for her tooth filled mouth. <laughs> and the school festival arc comes to a close with Ari receiving her candied apple made by Deku himself. Ah. This is also nice and fun. <laughs> and enjoy these fun times while they last, folks. Just saying. And with the school festival over and done with, we're now on the home stretch of season four here, as we are entering basically the last two episodes here. Yep. Oh, we got some good news as Aerie is gonna be living at the dorms at UA. She'll be learn she'll be there to learn how to control her quirk, with the main goal being that uh, once she can control it, she's she'll be able to rewind Mario back to when he had his quirk. I mean, she also doesn't really have anywhere else to go. <laughs> no, like, uh, basically her only living relative is still in a coma at the Shia Saikai hideout. Eh, whatever, I saw what I can adopt her. Yeah, he can, I mean, he's ba basically everyone's dad at this point. Yeah. <laughs> and some more good news, as the Wild Wild Pussycats have come to visit. And they're in sweet casual clothing, too. Yeah, it was nice to them to make a little visit and see that they're actually doing, they're uh, keeping up pretty well. And also Coda came with them too, and it's, and uh, Mandalay shows that, uh, shows Deku that he got new shoes that look just like his. Uh. <laughs> uh, but uh, nice to see Coda again, and like, ah, come on, Coda, give us a little dick punch for old time's sake. It's nice that they're like still keeping connected. Yeah. Anyway, the Pussycats are here to tell 1A that they're back in business. The big motivator for the return is the Japanese Hero Billboard Chart, which is uh, Japan's hero ranking system. And speaking of which, it's time to reveal this year's top 10. Roll call. Number 10, Dragoon Hero Ryukyu. Number 9, Equipped Hero Yoroi Musha, played here by Bill Jenkins. Number 8, Laundry Hero Wash, played here by Elise Watson Johnson. <laughs> Number 7, Kamui Woods. Ah, uh, look how far he's Hey, come. Rookie of the Year! Yeah. He made it! He's the Justin Jefferson of the group here. There you go. Number 6, Shield Hero Crust, played here by Larry Brantley. Not to be confused with uh, Shield Hero, the shitty isekai. Number five, oh, a big one. Your Girl, Rabbit Hero Mirko, played here by Anaris Kinoas. Oh my god, just look at her. <laughs> <laughs> so beefy. Yeah, if you want to put her over here now, just feel free. <laughs> I mean, well, she doesn't do anything during this arc, so like, I won't give out here. You want to save it, we want to save... The pudding over here. But just like, oh, look at her. <laughs> Isn't she perfect? Yes. <laughs> I Like, uh, when I first saw her, like, after you bigging her up for such so, for so long, and then I saw her here, I'm just like, I get it. <laughs> I totally get it. <laughs> I get, I would get, you would get why, why anyone would love her. I'm all in. <laughs> <laughs> like, Midnight's still my girl, but uh, Mirko's great. Mm -hmm. And also a special shout out to her voice actress, as I really like her voice, Anaris Kanoas. Yeah, she's really good. Like, not just for Mirko, but also uh, I've been listening to her in the dub of ReZero Season 2, and she's really great in that, too. Oh, how nice. Anyway, back to the list. As number four, Ninja Hero Edshot. Number three, Fiber Hero Best Genus, who's conspicuous by his absence here. Hmm. Number two, Wing Hero Hawks. 
played here by the actor that I uh, wanted to hold off talking about earlier, but I want to talk about now, Zeno Robinson, the awesome Zeno Robinson. Oh, yeah. Oh, we're going to give about him in a bit. Oh, yeah. And who is the number one hero? Number one, flame hero, Endeavor. Sport new costume, too. Yeah. Uh, quite the lineup here. Though, uh, out of all these uh, heroes, the one that really stands out the most sticks out like a sore thumb. Wash. What the hell is the deal with Wash? What is Wash? Is Wash like a robot or a person in like a washing machine costume? What what are they? I think it said like they, they, they're they the star of like uh, detergent commercials or something. It, that puts them at like number eight on the hero list. How the fuck did this thing get on <laughs> <Yeah>. there? <laughs> How does Wash fight crime? I think this isn't much of a spoiler, but I think we do see later on that Wash uses like a uh, like can bla- like control or like control like water and bubbles or something from yeah. like their body. He'll clean his enemies into submission. It, it, it's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> He's got the power of Billy Mays with the OxyClean. That <laughs> <laughs> is just the quirk, OxyClean. <laughs> wash here with OxyClean. <laughs> Gonna wash these villains until they're cl- nice and shiny. <laughs> And so, after the ceremony, Hawks tries to buddy up with Endeavor and offers to team up with him. Hawks then brings him to his hometown where he can help fight some crime and maybe score some brownie points with the people who haven't quite accepted him as number one yet. And uh, we see how everyone loves Hawks here. Like, he, they're really putting him over. And it's making a real and it's making a real big contrast because everyone loves Hawks and no one loves Endeavor. No, Nobody loves Endeavor. <laughs> Like, uh, at one point, Endeavor tries to shake hands with a kid who looks like Natsu from Fairy Tale, and the kid's just all like, fuck you, Endeavor, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, one notable thing here, uh, one of the guys Hawks takes down, no problem, is a streaker. A streaker who seems to be a big fan of a book that's recently come out, something called Metahuman Liberation Warfront, Destro's Life Story. And he just yells out like, for the Metal Liberation Army! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's nothing. Yeah, he just, he just, he gets too quickly taken out, like, it was nothing. Yeah. <laughs> also, I remember, like, wasn't his quirk, like, shame, like, the more shame he feels, the more powerful he gets? Yep. In the name of Destro! <laughs> Destro, eh? Yeah, he's probably a weenie. <laughs> but yeah, the main reason Hawks wants to team up with Endeavor is because he's uh, gotten a tip that the League is up to something and that there may be some more Nomus running around. Bigger, more powerful Nomus. And also, he does generally want to help uh, Endeavor, like, try to win the hearts of people of Japan, you know? Realizes he could use some help. You know, and, like, we do... While we don't see much of Hawks this season, like, we do get to see that he's a pretty cool guy, all things considered. Yeah, he is. And we have heard about him earlier in the season as uh, Tokoyami did his uh, work study with him. I know, goddamn, getting one under, like, the number three, now number two hero? Damn. Good for him. Yeah. By the way, speaking of more powerful Nomus, here's one right now! And this one is big, mean, nasty, and can even talk. This one is worse than the ones before. Yeah, so let's close out the season with the awesome Endeavor versus high-end Nomu fight. And this fight is being viewed by everyone in the country, including the Todoroki family. And it's something, you know. Like, knowing what we know now in the manga and watching the scene, it's... It's just kind of, it kind of, like, makes you look at it differently, you know? A little bit, yeah. Uh, and this fight and these moments with the fa- with the family here basically essentially kick off an Endeavor Redemption arc here. Like, this is the pretty much the official start of it. Yeah, pretty much. And I'm all for it. Like, Endeavor's still an abusive asshole, and nothing will ever change that. But uh, 
watching him go through this journey to try to atone for everything he's done will make for an excellent story. Like, yes. I'm all for the storytelling here. It's going to be so good. Yes, I like this. This long-term booking. This, like, uh, taking of his character to try and elevate him further. To show that, like, he is repentant and he wants to change. You know, it's, it's going to take a lot of breaking down and rebuilding for Endeavor here. Oh, and he's getting broken down a lot here. Yeah. <laughs> he's already starting. He's getting his ass kicked. <laughs> <laughs> Nearly gets his eye taken out. <laughs> yeah, he almost goes full big boss on us. <laughs> While Endeavor fights the high end, Hawks takes care of the evacuation with his quirk, Fierce Wings. Want to explain this one? You can just, like, shoot out the feathers from his wings and, like, control them around, you know. And, yeah. Uh, he can even take the longer went, went ones from his wings and use them as swords. Now, that one's really cool. I love the sword feathers. I know. That looks really cool. Like, really impressive for, like, a pretty young dude, too. Yeah, and, like, you know, not, you know, he basically uses them to fly, too, obviously, but, uh... But he can't use up too much of them, otherwise he can't fly. Yeah. And if they burn up, like, here, they burn up, it takes a while for them to regrow bra- grow back. Mm-hmm. And also him kind of controlling the the feathers to kind of save people kind of reminds me a bit of the, uh, you know, in Guardians of the Galaxy, Yondu using, like, that spear. Thing. It does kind of remind me of, like, Yondu's spear, uh, arrow technique. Arrow technique, yeah. Bit. Yeah, it does remind me of that a little bit. Yeah. But uh, this fight, this is really a cool fight. No perfect way to end off the season here. I mean, they kind of had to end it off in some way. So it's like pacing wise, it's like this one synced up well enough. Yeah. It's like they were able to give people a really impressive fight to end off the season with. Yeah. And some real. Locked out in that regard. (laughs) And some real season finale levels of flexing here for the animation. Like they clearly kind of saved most of the budget for this year. Yeah. Unfortunately, despite his best efforts, this fight doesn't seem to be going Endeavor's way. And at one point, it looks like he's fucking dead. Well. Show over. Everyone go home. Uh, no, he's still got some fight left in him, and he gets some extra motivation in the form of that Natsu-looking kid getting on TV and telling everyone to just believe in Endeavor. And then this all this all does motivate him to finally go beyond plus ultra style, even actually saying <laughs> plus ultra. Reluctantly, he will go plus ultra. And he's just all like, he always hated that stupid school motto, but now this is the perfect time to break it out. Plus Ultra! <laughs> and he finishes off that high-end Nomu. And this is the moment, this is the moment that can be seen that Endeavor truly became the number one hero in Japan. As he raises his fist up in the air, just like All Might after he defeated All for One. Eh, a little unoriginal, but <laughs> yeah. deserved. You know, they're... Yeah, he's he's trying to take what he learned from All Might here, so he's also like probably like half dead right now. <laughs> so he doesn't probably doesn't really care. So, I did it. Number one hero. I think he was just maybe trying to assure people like, I'm still alive. <laughs> but please send help. I'm probably gonna die in five minutes. Please get a gauze for my head <laughs> for my eye. <laughs> I can't I can't feel half my body. <laughs> so a long road for endeavor, but hey. Good first step. And his rehabilitation has begun. And so, season four comes to a close, as in a post credit scene, Deku has a mysterious dream where he encounters a bunch of mysterious figures similar to the ones he saw at the sports fest during his fight with Shinzo. These are the previous holders of One for All. And as Deku's hands meet them, he suddenly awakens with his hand glowing with One for All's power. Curtain down. See you in season five. And what a season will that be? Oh, I cannot wait. Just little little preview here. Just be ready for more Class One B and for more Leaky Weegy. Just it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. Final thoughts. Uh, season four is pretty good overall. I felt like they adapted the manga relatively well overall. I think 
you know, like the, she has she has, she has Sakai. That was going to be easy, but they would, but they had kind of a they had kind of a difficult task ahead adapting the next like three mini ones because it's like how do you work with those, you know? But no, I think it all came together uh, quite well actually. She has Sakai really gave the. Uh, Really gave it their all and like gave it the importance that it really deserved, and even gave some uh, great importance to the uh, little mini arcs we got afterwards. Yeah, very solid season. Yeah, I have to agree. Like very good stuff. Like the Shia Saikai is the like the real MVP arc of this whole entire season. Like it's just so amazing, and it just continues to amaze me how My Hero Academia tends to get better and better with each major arc of the series. Like I thought it like uh, there was a point where I thought like did the series reach its peak with uh, All for One, but no, they managed to like almost top that with yeah they're still able to like up the ante they're still they're still able to like keep the the momentum going by this point and considering what happens next in the manga like over the next few years of the series just like it continued to like get better and better and as i mentioned before like shia saika can be used as like bit of a a prelude to what's to come here you know what you can expect with this series and like the kind of heartbreak and tragedy you can expect from the series too yeah and, uh, you know, once again, dub-wise, dub's still fantastic, and the fact that everyone recorded the back half of the series from their homes and still managed to make it sound really good is just nothing short of impressive here. Yes, fantastic job. Really commendable. And also that second half was just, you know, the mini-arcs, but they're just so much fun, and, like, like we got bombarded with, like, some real heavy... Even, like, even without the action, like they, still, like, they still managed to, like, you know, keep things fun with the characters. Yeah, and, like, considering how we got bombarded basically like looking at the previous seasons of like the big arcs you know like stain all for one chia saikai it's like we needed these breathers here mm-hmm. based on what uh, next season's gonna start off with we'll get a bit of an, another important arc but still kind of like a nice little fun arc before we get to some real big stuff it has lots of fighting that's all you need to know <laughs> yeah just uh hope you all like 1b because we'll see more of them mm-hmm. and the one after that is total fucking carnage it's <laughs> <laughs> It's my it's my favorite. It, it's definitely one of my favorites after I read it. Just you know, like I said, hope you like one B, and also hope you like the league because they'll be back in droves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, also, I really love uh, the school festival. It's just so heartwarming and everything. The stuff with Airy, the song was just so nice. And... The school festival was a good chance for the for Horikoshi to slow the plot down. Yeah, and also just always nice to see the kids in one A just kind of pal around and hang out. And just be normal kids, too. Not like heroes who have to face life and death situations every day. Yeah, it's nice for them to take a breather like that. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, remind us that they are just normal people at normal the Normal kids day. going to school and everything. Yeah. And all the setup at the very end with Endeavor and also the uh, the top ten heroes, which we're definitely going to see more of coming mm-hmm. soon. I, I am all for the Endeavor redemption arc, you know. Whether you love him or you hate him, you can't, you can't hate what the story's going to turn into with this guy. Yeah, a lot of good setup this season. Mm-hmm. So yeah, good stuff. And looking forward to season five coming in April. But that will be far off in the future for us. <laughs> yes, because, uh, yeah, while, uh, while I originally planned for... Uh, to do this season after that ended uh probably not going to do that for season five you know we're going to let my hero simmer a bit after that season ends and then and then we'll jump into it but we will eventually be back for more yeah. my hero like these my hero podcasts aren't ever going away and we love doing them yeah and just it's just it's nice to come back to this after a year and a half really yeah thank you all for listening i've been your host mikey and you can find me at my social medias at mikey shiota on twitter mikeyshiota.tumblr.com and Mikey Shota on the gram where can we find you ryan uh, I have actually since changed, uh, with the new year uh, come by, I've decided to uh, kind of do a little bit of spring cleaning on some stuff a little bit, 
and uh, or at least early fuck it, like early spring cleaning, <laughs> winter cleaning. Yeah, winter cleaning. <laughs> Way early spring cleaning, and I just decided to change up the old username and. Uh, well, I don't know. I guess I guess I felt ever since I wrote an article in like December or something, I uh, I don't know why. I just felt like I put myself as a blip on the radar a little bit, and I was just like, huh, maybe I should touch up my public image a little bit, you know. So uh, <laughs> so I decided to go for a little username change on Twitter at the very least. Uh, you can find me at two bits on Twitter. That's two bits with a zero in there instead of an O. But uh, you can still find me at Wolfish Grin on Tumblr at the very least. Um, you know, I, I still don't mind keeping the grin moniker on uh, other platforms, at the very least. It's just, I, I, it's just, I can't deny that after all, after so much time, Twitter is now like my most like public and undoubtedly my most <laughs> used like social media right now. So it's like, I, I, I gotta dust myself off a bit, you know, yeah. make myself. <laughs> I just felt like I should make myself a little more presentable, you know. Right. <laughs> so, but uh, no, I was happy to do that. I even got a nice new uh, little cartoony Twitter icon. Yeah, very on. nice icon. Yes, I like it quite a bit. I, li I really like it. <laughs> Expect many more Twitter icons like that in the future. <laughs> I plan on hitting up all the artists out there. All of the artists. And follow Anime Baby on Twitter at Anime underscore Baby. That's Anime underscore B-A-Y, B-A-Y. And also follow the show at AnimeBaby.Podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts. And so... What's coming up next in this new year? Well, we got another episode that we hopefully want to have done by the end of January to get us right back on track with our monthly releases. And uh, it's one that you suggested to me a while ago. And uh, Honestly, the first one of the pot, the first thing on the podcast I think I've suggested that we're now finally getting to. Yeah. <laughs> Because, you know, I'm, I mostly, I most of the time, you know, take a step back and, like, let you make the choices and stuff, you know? It's your big project, but, like, and uh, also because I, gen I, I generally don't have a lot of suggestions of my own. <laughs> yeah. Well, you suggested ReZero, didn't you? I mean, well, I was, I was, I was all in for that one at the very least. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to take ownership of that? <laughs> <laughs> Not really. <laughs> but no, this is the first, this is the first of uh, my suggestions, of my choices. Care to say what it is? We are, we are going to tell you, we are going to regale you all with the story of a wolf and a rabbit as we cover Beastars. Oh yeah, this is going to be good. Ooh, I want, I've been wanting to get to this one for a while. I know you suggested it to me, to me, like, I think near the end of 2019, because that was near the end of its Japanese broadcast, and we were still waiting for it to come out on Netflix, so I was just all like, okay, you're really bigging this up, and I trust you, this should be a good one. Yes, and we're finally going to get to it. One of my favorite anime of 2020. Yeah, I will say a little bit of a preview to how we're going to feel. Uh, when this uh, came out on Netflix during the uh, early stages of the uh, quarantine, I watched it all in one day. <laughs> all in one day? All in one day. A little, little bit of a taste of what's uh, how my feelings are going to be. Ah. <laughs> oh, we're going to have such a good time. Oh, yeah, but yeah, get ready for Beastars Season 1 and next time. It's it's only twelve. It's only around like what twelve episodes. Twelve episodes, yeah. But like we're we're gonna be going real deep into that. We're one. gonna go balls deep into this one here. Whew, it's gonna be fun. It'll be great. I'm excited. <laughs> it's gonna be so fun. But until then, remember to stay safe out there. Wash your hands. Wear a mask. Social distance. And uh, just you know, just hang on out there. We we see a light at the end of the tunnel. We just gotta keep keep plugging along we're almost there we're almost, almost. There. but until then thanks again for listening and this has been anime, anime baby. baby also 
Go Beyond Plus Ultra! Such a beautiful face, dear. Don't let that frown spoil the effect. Sorry, hon. Just a little illusion for ya. <laughs> You've got such a beautiful face, my dear. That killed me, Glamoroki! Seriously, I might die! Oh, I don't know. Was it really all that funny? 